Hello and welcome to episode 279 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett, Alex Jones and Jack Harper will be here shortly. Um, never a good first impression when one of us is late. Um, does seem to be Jack more often than not. Probably I would say we could wait, but look, we've got time to manage we've got topics to get into same time every week and still plans is dinner for this time disgrace one regular got... week of football and pod that's all i ask will never happen exactly we've got news of the week we've got man city liverpool and the title race we will talk about arsenal's result spurs's result and uh, the top four i'm sure we'll hear from jackie was undercover at the southampton game at the weekend and then we will talk some combat sports as well to close out the show. News of the week. I'm going to say it was an uneventful week, but then I'm just looking back at what's happened. And as I always say, it perhaps does say a lot about some of the things we hear. Since we had the headline last year about the pig the size of a small horse that had to be lured away by a, a bag of Doritos. <laughs> And I'm aware how this soundbite could go, but I've I've just loved pigs since then. <laughs> um, and so today, when I stumbled upon the League of Pigs Pig Racing Championships, <laughs> it is the single Dream greatest country. thing I've ever seen. <laughs> when episode one, which has 150,000 hits, is just a straight sprint race and you've got like uh pepper gonzalez who they call the uh little mexican you've got the big american <laughs> piggy smalls uh you've got ginger hamilton who has a great first race um you've got bear trotsky the little russian and then when you get to episode three and this was my Wait, hold, on, hold, on. hold on they're letting russians compete at the moment this, these were filmed previously, <laughs> but look, you can't keep a competitor like this out of the race anyway. <laughs> He's worked on his career. Yeah, exactly. When so this, my whole bus home, I, I saw this this morning, and then I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing on the bus journey home today. <laughs> Episode three, Alex, when they bring in hurdles. I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. The commentary is unbelievable. And look, some of these finishes on the line are just fantastic when they're applauding one of the pigs for not being cocky and celebrating post-race <laughs> just being graceful in front of his competitors oh, you, you've sold you've you've absolutely i'm gonna sold. i'm gonna you put a link some in, links i'm gonna put a link in the description of this podcast because i mean i'd love a sponsorship from them but <laughs> as much as we probably aren't getting that i want to spread the word of pig racing and grow this sport because it is just fantastic i mean i'm looking forward to watching season two tomorrow uh marble racing was great when i saw that on bt sport for the first time during uh, lockdown one if i had found pig racing then i don't think i'd have got back into football <laughs> <laughs> it is just that would have been it. sublime and i can't wait to see what they do next because the hurdles was already huge when you have a guy like a guy, a pig. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic on the sprints and then the hurdles come in and they're struggling. 
And then the work of these pigs that by the next week, this pig's able to turn it around that he's a master of the hurdles. That's just dedication to the training. That, that's it what is, you're it is. And look, maybe maybe we'll uh, get some updates moving forward because I, helped, I also found out that ostrich racing is a thing. Have you seen that before? Yeah, I've seen that. The fact that those things can there's shift. humans yeah, on absolutely. the back of them is what makes that incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, pig racing, that's the one for me. Um, maybe one day in the future we'll have a grand national of pigs. 40 pigs in a big hurdle race would be fantastic. I think you've got, I think, I think you got to think bigger than that. I think you take out the F1 channel on Sky Sports and you put in the the Formula Pig Racing channel and you're on to absolutely amazing viewing uh, viewing statistics. Yes, let's get pigs in go-karts. <laughs> <laughs> There's a video on YouTube that has like 130 million hits where it's a, a monkey riding a pig backwards. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that it's backwards seems to make it so much better as well. I was watching that again this morning, watching the monkey chase it down to try and get back on. Unreal. I was going to say, I don't think the pig is willingly taking no. part with the monkey. The monkey is he's driving this whole thing. This is the thing. The League of Pigs is entirely ethical. They're loving it. Yeah, they look like having a great time. So there we go. Uh, maybe more on that next week. Maybe uh, Movie Madness will go out the window and we'll just do updates on the League of Pigs every week. <laughs> Is there, a dedicated po- is there a dedicated podcast to that sport? I don't think there is. I actually did send someone uh, the link to the League of Pigs and they responded saying um, something along the lines of, I didn't know Spitballing Pod had gone into video podcasts. So <laughs> not just taking me down, but taking you all down with me. Wow. Anyway, news of the week. A traveller told the TSA he had no idea that a sword was concealed in his cane. Easily done. I'm assuming it was an old man to be walking around with a cane. But what situation are you expecting to be in where you are concealing a sword? I mean, there's a lot of action films that I can think of. We're real life here. This is like some daredevil business. You never know when you're going to be challenged to a duel. <laughs> I think I think a load of veterans were uh, given, uh, like, to show how old that came potentially is. I think a load of vets were given them from the Boer War, um, like a set of swords concealed within a cane. So, could be that. That's a uh, quite a high, uh, high, a high value piece. That I, I do agree that we probably have far less conflict in the world if things were still determined with like a sword fight. Yep. Although some of the warriors that would be coming out of the likes of Eastern Europe probably means we wouldn't be doing particularly well. So <laughs> maybe it's best we don't go that way. Uh, well, you know, we did all right. We, we did all right before modern times. You never know. Well, some of the athletes they have over in America where it's just not unusual to be like seven feet tall. <laughs> We'd be stretched. Yeah. I think uh, I think um, how how can I put this? A lot of uh, the the, uh, the doping that is uh, frowned upon these days becomes a lot more loose. That's I mean, fine. yeah. If if you are fighting with swords, I'm all take whatever pets you want and just make this a complete. Well, it'd be like F one. 
if you can have the best engine, then fair play. I like the idea we're all, we're all getting Vada tested all year round, though, just <laughs> on the off chance. But I don't want you performance enhancing for this sword fight. Uh, a widow used the GoFundMe proceeds to shower her husband's alleged killer with gifts. What? Kill him with kindness. I don't know if that's it. I don't know if uh, perhaps this was a secret bloke on the side. I, I don't know, but I've got to think if you are trying to cover it up, there's probably more elaborate <laughs> ways of doing so. <laughs> Maybe wait a little bit. Yeah, she's made herself prime suspect. Yeah. Uh, a woman plans to sue after construction company mistakenly demolishes her house. Oof. Quid's in, though. Get home from the the shops. (laughs) Your house is just done. It says that she plans to sue, though, like it wasn't a guarantee. (laughs) She's left a bank card in the house. She's had to make a tough choice. Boy dies after Florida teens take turns shooting at each other wearing an armoured vest. Oh, Christ. You did the business a few <laughs> weeks ago, TK. <laughs> yeah. That's what should have happened in that film. Burger King sued by customers who claim Whopper is smaller than advertised. Funny. Have you ever taken to measuring your Whopper, Alex? <laughs> Can't say I have. Can't say I have. Obese it's only diners. a junior, don't worry. <laughs> Obese diners to be banned from entering naked restaurant because it will be miserable for other guests. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg says Meta employees lovingly refer to him as the Eye of Sauron. Lovingly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what they call you at work, Alex, lovingly. <laughs> mm, I'm just going to go with the no comment option on this. <laughs> There's a lot of safe sure, way out. I'm sure they do the same. <laughs> Ohio man goes on all beer diet for Lent to lose weight and gain money for charity. Blimey. How long is Lent? Um, I'm out of the picture here. Um, 40 days. I was going to say a month, so blimey. Please. All beer. Christ, That's... that is... <laughs> oh. And you're losing weight doing that, so you'd be definitely bloated after, like, one meal. I'm going to say he's not seeing out the end of Lent. He's not making that. There's another headline that said, because I saw them back-to-back, and it said, goes on all-beer diet again, like he'd done it the first time, and either it raised so much money or it was such a good, like, weight loss plan that he's just dived headfirst into it again. His friends are, oh, it's that time of year again. So there we go. There is your news of the week. So big weekend at all ends of the table this weekend. If we start with the top of the table, Man City 2, Liverpool 2. The big question here is to whether the title race is over. Jurgen Klopp likened this match to a boxing match. And I think it's fairly accurate, to be fair, to... Fantastic teams, toe-to-toe at the top of the Premier League. Um, TK, I think 
the most impressive thing here before we kind of break down the fixture is that both teams are so completely committed to their own style principles and I guess just belief in everything that you stand for that you've both just refused to change them every time you face each other and it's why we do get these fantastic games every time yeah there's no compromise is there and no one sort of bottles it no one decides oh, we're just gonna shut up shop um it's impressive it's it's unbelievably impressive in, in a week where uh, there's been a constant sort of is this the best rivalry ever sort of thing where most people kind of come down the side it's not I do think when these two teams get together we, we probably do see as good a set of games as we've ever seen between two teams consistently yeah got a lot of rustling from someone there I don't know who it was just don't want anyone being distorted um, I think and I'm maybe in the I going to say off season like we're American there but maybe when <laughs> the season's over there'll be a great conversation about the, the best rivalries and things like that it's certainly the most entertaining like this isn't the Arsenal United game that's so famous for Keown jumping all over Vanistor at the end I think Arsenal had one shot on target that game and it was after about 70 minutes mm. it's just you have the carnage at the end of the game the FA Cup final between those two teams one of the worst games you'll Ooh. ever see yeah that was a tough one um when you look at some of the Chelsea United games, very similar. We don't talk about that FA Cup final. No. Oof, oof. These two at least, and we've complained about bigging up Liverpool United games over recent years, mm. and Chelsea City games, at least with these two, you do actually know, and probably jinx it before Saturday now, but you are almost always going to get a great game. Yeah, I was going to say Saturday will shit out now. We've settled this, won't it? But um, yeah, it, it's as close to a guarantee as you can get. The, the level is just it's so high level as well. To the, the tactics of it, the technical ability of these players, albeit we didn't start too well, didn't really show that. But as a whole, it, not to sound it sounds overly snobbish, this, but like you watch them at times, it's kind of this is like a different game to what you were watching, say earlier in the day or the day before yeah. or whatever. Obviously, compare and contrast to that Man United Everton game that was just. Uh, just hideous. Well, um, I, I saw suggestions that they put on Norwich Burnley just before to really hammer <laughs> home the quality that we were going to get in the game after. Yeah, not a bad show. Um, I think something which I hope doesn't sound too critical because um, it's meant to be the opposite. I don't actually think there was one particularly outstanding individual performance. I think De Bruyne probably had the best moments of the bunch, but it was more of just an outstanding collective in an outstanding game full of great players. Um, and even with that being said, it's not too much of a stretch to say that City could have had the game done by half time. Um, yeah, for sure. Definitely not an exaggeration to point out. The Sterling missed a sitter at the start, and both of us have been fairly outspoken on him before and said, Look, if we're putting someone forward to score a one on one to save our life, Sterling is going to be right near the back of the queue. Yeah, yeah. I might be Mares, kicking a goalie ahead of him. Yeah, Mares fluffs a great chance. Well, <clears throat> a great chance by their standards at the end of the game. Yeah, and of course you get various other chances throughout. An actual finisher in this City team. Are these the games where really we do highlight it? And Pep gets quite wound up because he says it's only mentioned when City don't win games, which is probably mm. fair. But at this end of the season, we're going to see him against. Uh, 
Liverpool at least one more time, possibly two in the Champions League final as well. We're going to see them against either Real Madrid or Chelsea if they go through past Atletico. And those are the games where you perhaps aren't going to get the same amount of chances in whether it's a Haaland or someone like that. Or Kane is obviously uh, the standout one there. It could be so much easier for them, which is even scarier. Yeah, that, I mean, that would have been terrifying wouldn't it, if they had got him. Oh, Jackson. Here he is. Yeah, Maybe he was the secret wrestler. No, <laughs> that been quite something. I've been, uh, been looking at who's wrestling. Um, but yeah, I was just going to make the point that one, how far was Alisson off his line for that last chance? Like that didn't need to be the chance. <laughs> Alisson kind of made it the chance. <laughs> and two, do you feel that if City go and get themselves a big number nine, like a, as in a big signing, not just big stature. Um, you think it's like another a Lukaku situation where it just doesn't fit the system and it goes horribly wrong. I, There's some potential for that, isn't there? Because <clears throat> I feel that they... But the guys they're getting linked with are almost... It's almost bulletproof. In, you, you could, you'd say that. We were calling Lukaku bulletproof <laughs> yeah. at the start of the season. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, the rumour that I would keep an eye on, and I've not really seen any credible links there yet, but we keep seeing Lewandowski being linked with a move and the prices that are being spoken about mm. aren't too significant. And I do wonder whether they'll see that as a slam dunk. They can't go too wrong. The wages they'll have to pay, yeah, but that's nothing to them. The price is going to be probably very shallow in comparison to what you'd pay for a Kane, a Haaland, um, I think Klopp spoke recently about the the real price between signing the about ha- signing Haaland, which is more than just a seventy million release clause. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think someone like the Lewandowski is gonna be the kind of one they'll go for, um, or he may spit in all our faces. They may win the Premier League, the Champions League, the FA Cup, and say, "Why do I want a striker? I'm giving you all a chance here." Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's good of him to do that. Yeah, Klopp. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Klopp mentioned how fast City started. And I guess what makes that stand out the most is that's something that we usually associate with Klopp's teams. We mm. spoke last week, TK, about uh, the Champions League game in particular, where Liverpool just came out of the blocks yeah. and just put City on the back foot where they were then going to struggle. Right from the start, they get a free kick, which they take quickly, do their best to take Henderson and Fabinho immediately out of the game. And then whether you want to praise De Bruyne or whether you want to criticise Fabinho, it couldn't have been a better start. Yeah, to that end, I think we probably didn't help ourselves. We were very sloppy in possession, giving away cheaply. And you don't really want to be giving the ball to them coming onto the ball like we were as often as we did. So I think it was partly a quick start on their part and partly us kind of almost giving them a quick start. I think it's probably also partly why we struggled a bit in the Etihad is that we don't start as quickly as we do at games at Anfield and once you kind of are in City's rhythm it's very very hard to then impose your own on the game yeah because a lot of these Liverpool players and there's something to think about is you're used to being the ones that are having all of the ball like City are going to have all the ball whether they play Barcelona whether they play PSG whether they play you it's a bit of something different when you do have a slightly older squad than them and they didn't really give you the chance to be organised. They made it a bit more of a rugged game than I guess you would expect from two teams of this quality. And I think perhaps the uh, 
message from City maybe subliminally was they were more than happy to make it a basketball game because they were confident that they'd come out on top in that circumstance. Yeah, which, which is surprising, isn't it, really? Considering how the two teams play. You'd think that would play into Liverpool's hands a bit more. But even I know, I know we were better in the second half. Even then, I didn't think we were really sort of at our best. So there's, again, I say it didn't really allow us to be. I'm sure there's probably the argument. But I do think you, you come away from it kind of thinking... Liverpool needed to win more going into it, but the way that game played out, you'd have taken the point and, and get back out of there. I think we had a conversation after you lost to West Ham earlier in the season. It may have been Jack I had a conversation about with uh, this with separately as well. Um, and we spoke about Klopp perhaps not making enough changes in games or I think we compared it to, or I compared it to football manager, you press play and you leave the room and what happens happens. Um, <laughs> He spoke a lot about his team being too rushed, particularly at the back in the first half. And he said he told his team he wanted to play proper football more often in the second half. I do think he probably gave them a bit of an ear bashing at halftime as well. Yeah, um, I'm sure. When you looked at the numbers at halftime, Mo Salah, no shots, no crosses, no dribbles completed, and he'd mm. given up possession several times. By his own standards, well, by anyone's standards, he was awful. Yep. Um, second half he's able to get an assist and I guess the biggest takeaway for Liverpool and maybe a sign of encouragement moving forwards is you you were able to hang with City even when the guy who so often needs to come up clutch when you look at the game earlier in the season when he's running from the halfway line mm-hmm. he's off his game and you've still got enough there to be able to hang with them like, like you said did, did anyone have a Overly good game for us, like a standout game, probably not. Probably um, Van Dyke is the, is the, is the one where yeah he, he did as usual. Sterling just looked terrified. It just ran at him and it was off. <laughs> yeah, it is quite funny to witness that. The um, yeah, like you said, maybe that is an encouraging sign. I think it's not it's not uh, news to anyone that Salah has been struggling a bit of late. I think he does look quite tired. I think even not to go too uh too nerdy on this but even sort of the intensity of his sprints doesn't look quite the same when you look at him the way he carries himself is not quite the same as it was if you wanted to compare to the game early in the season for example no goal from um, open play since February yeah, yeah and, it, and it looks it as well although having said that the way he ran and then set the goal for Mane was nice um, a composed finish for Mane as well yeah which uh, you wouldn't have back to get you wouldn't have uh, been surprised to see him miss that would you well, if Manny misses that, we're having a conversation about should it have been Luis Diaz started. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think it probably is a conversation should Diaz have been brought on five or ten minutes sooner, just because I think we didn't really get him in the game when he did come on. Um, He's no doubt never played a game like that before ever. What do you mean? Like the the just the sheer speed and intensity the on the level of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's true. It was it was freakish even by the standards of. The two of you, the the game that we always go back to, with the eighteen nineteen one, um, tactically was probably of a higher quality, but I don't think the intensity was the same. It was far more. Neither of you wanted to lose that game. This one was just like you you didn't have a second to rest, and mentally you had to be switched on the whole time there as well. So coming on the pitch there was probably just as daunting as uh, being on it from the start. Yeah, not an easy game to come into as a sub, is it? As a coming on cold, if you like. Because Walker kind of got 
his bad bits out of his system early and then yeah. strengthened as the game went on. Yeah, he's, he's a nightmare to play against someone like Diaz anyway, isn't he? Someone wants to take you on, you're never going to outpace him. No, I mean, the, the, the big question or the, the big talking point pre-game was um, Gabriel Jesus started. Mm. And I don't know how any of you feel about him. I still don't know how good he is. <laughs> yes. like, he scored a goal yeah. yesterday that's a very tough finish. And I was going to have the question great here run. today. Go on, sorry. So it's a great run as well. Yeah, yeah. It's perfectly timed. It's pretty impeccable. In a summer when... <laughs> PSG are likely looking for a striker. Arsenal are looking for a striker. United are looking for a striker. Chelsea are looking for a striker. Lower down, you've got West Ham looking for a striker. You've got several other clubs abroad. Barcelona looking for a striker. He is obviously in that conversation, but it still feels like it would be a gamble for whoever goes out and gets him. Like, if we signed him, I'd be excited, but I also wouldn't know what on earth we were getting. Because he scores those goals, he scores the goal yesterday, and then he's very wasteful elsewhere in the game. Like, you still, his numbers are good, but yeah, I still feel he's a bit of a mystery. I say his numbers are good, aren't they? It's kind of belie how you feel about him, I think. I think you kind of look at he's not that level, and then the numbers suggest different. Would you, would you not suggest, though, that, I mean, when City are pumping teams, by four goals, mm, chances yeah. are you're going to, you're better pick up more than average goals than say if you were Gabriel Jesus in another team like Chelsea. Would you want to rely on him? Yeah, exactly that. And I guess you won't know that until you get him, and it's going to be one of those where you're going to get him for a decent price, I would imagine. City don't seem to hold teams over a barrel. Um, they pretty much want to take what's a fair market value. Um, and with the added scrutiny on their finances, I do feel like they're going to be under pressure to perhaps sell some players where they can get money in this summer. Um, so it's going to be one that's either going to age wonderfully when you say you pay 40 million for him, we could have season later be going, that's an 80 million pound striker you got there for 40 million. Mm. Or it could be a, look, this is why he was never able to force through and they were playing without a striker. It does feel like it will go one way the other as well, doesn't it? it does yeah. feel like you're not going to end up with an in-between. It will be all or nothing, it feels like. He, he has a good record against Liverpool, though, and I think it is some of horses for courses. I think it was the right decision to play in. But then the, the ironic thing is, how many games will he get between now and the end of the year that aren't Liverpool? He could end up not starting most of the other games. Yeah. But I think he'll start against Liverpool whenever well, he- we play. He plays just enough minutes to not force himself out, doesn't he? He's kind of similar situation to Zinchenko. Because when you look at his minutes, the amount of competitions they're in, he does get a decent level of minutes, even outside of the Carabao Cup. Um, There's maybe something that people know behind the scenes. And when you think of Spurs and the negotiations for Kane, I know they didn't want to lose Kane, but we're led to believe that City kind of offered Jesus up in the negotiations and Spurs certainly didn't take that as a sweetener at all. So maybe clubs don't feel he's the guy that can just come in. Like, Do you think if you offered Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, if you offered them Tony or Jesus tomorrow, what do you think the majority goes with? I think majority go with Jesus. I know Tony's got more goals than Kane has this season, which is crazy return, but I think because he's played in systems 
above Brentford, you're probably back on air on the side of caution. I think we look at Tony as like a sure bet, I guess, because again, stature is big, he's strong, he holds up the yeah. ball well. Um, Three months ago, we were saying the opposite. It's mad. <laughs> yeah, it is. I guess that's that's football, though, isn't it? Whereas you would probably say that the fact that Jesus has been able to play in this Man City team, he'd be able to be more versatile system wise instead of like a second string target man. Target yeah, man. yeah I, would... I messaged TK yesterday saying I, I think Tony might be the guy. Um, and who knows what we're going to do this summer? We'll get into that. I mean, Chelsea today has been put in the Darwin Nunes conversation. Don't do it to yourself, Darwin. Don't do it. The Athletics say it's 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 between uh, at this stage and a long way to go, obviously. Uh, United, PSG, and Chelsea. Yeah, I think I can see us selling Lukaku to PSG. <laughs> Uh, I, I see that as like oh. the to PSG is just. I'm not sure I mean, PSG. That, that club, <laughs> that club. <laughs> I'm not sure they're they're going to be biting on that the same way um, people involved at Chelsea might think they will. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's been sat on the bench for the last three months. Like, I know that he's not a hot property at the moment, <laughs> and we're going to lose a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> he's at that point now where. Um, like a nickname that, as far as I'm aware, doesn't even mean anything. Like I don't even see him be referred to as Lukaku anymore. I just see that Lukaku TikTok that constantly comes up of him just being shite. The, th- the thing is, like, I mean, I don't know if we're moving on to talking a bit about this now, but no, we're gonna do, we're gonna do, we're gonna hear about your undercover story after we've done a bit of the top four. Absolutely fine. Um, with the way this game went, then. TK, so Liverpool obviously needed a win more than Man City did. Mm. But I feel, and this is the outside looking in, I didn't see many Liverpool fans that were able to feel disappointed after the game, possibly because of the first half performance and just because, can you come away disappointed not to beat this team? No, and, and this is, as I said, during the game, what kind of made the whole all we've got to do is go to there, it had and win thing ridiculous because it's like, yeah, in theory, but that's a lot easier said than done, right? And our record doesn't <laughs> yeah. suggest we're going to do it's that. It's in Liverpool's hands. Yeah, it's, it's in our hands. It's kind of, I don't want to be too ridiculous, but you win your first game of the season. Well, it's in our hands from here on, lads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 37 well, games to go, but it is, I guess. Don't remember that United tweet. <laughs> don't say it. Don't say <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, it's so good. I see that every <laughs> week come up. Oh, magic. Um, same as the third lands, we've we've overtaken Liverpool now. Oh, <laughs> just magic, thank you, Rio. Um, yeah, I think because of the nature of the game, I think you couldn't. I think you're happy to actually still be kind of still in it if if we accept it's still on. Uh, we're basically, as you were, obviously a loss would have been pretty devastating. And, and Mares with that chance at the end, in a way, probably yeah. a fight even more devastating than if we got blown away in that first half. I think I think that would have been sort of a dagger in the heart. So I think you've got to be a little bit relieved to come away with that. He but might then you, be a kind of look Liverpool at... fan. What, Mahrez? After the, yeah. uh, the penalty, the penalty as well. will go back to you. <laughs> I mean, that one, he kind of done everything and then stopped. Well, the... So he had the composure like he was looking around. Like I wouldn't put the execution on him as being something I would have expected to be poor. No. Because the... people were saying, oh, I shouldn't have gone for the chip. I, was like, I don't think the idea was wrong, just sort of the execution of it. I have seen a replay that shows Matip gets a small block on it, doesn't he? I think he deflects okay, it slightly. Okay. 
But having said that, you probably shouldn't give him the opportunity to realise that. So If he does stop that and chip Allison, that is one of the coldest things we've yeah. seen in the Premier League game. Yeah, yeah. Literally the last kick of the game, that's, yeah, that would have been unbelievable. Um, to, to Jack's point on Allison's positioning, I'm convinced that Allison and Trent both have this sort of thing where, like, sometimes the game's sort of like a house fire, and both of them decide we're running in with a petrol can. <laughs> They're both absolutely great. You know what? Fuck this. We're going. Like, Can you just give me like five minutes peace, lads? <laughs> we would see though, um, and I, I can say this looking back now though, um, when teams used to play us in Sunday League, the keepers would be so bored that <laughs> they would just kind of want to create some excitement themselves. You want to do something. And Allison just looks like. I don't know if he's a fan from the outside, if he spent the majority of his time as a kid like playing outfield. He just looks like he almost gets bored. Or I don't know if he watches Edison compilations and he just wants to say, I can do all of those things as well. Because he's is it. as comfortable with the ball at his feet as he is. He thinks he's Edison with the ball at his feet. and he, He's not De Gea, but he's a lot closer to De Gea than he is to Edison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's terrifying. We do have a couple of decisions and uh, talking points from the game still. I mean, Fabinho, of all the times for it to happen, I would look at him as possibly your most consistent player. Mm. And then I guess sometimes you just have one of those days. And was it just as soon as the pass went past him at the start of the game, he just never recovered from it? Maybe he was trying a bit too hard. Yeah, maybe. I mean, from, from the gym, he looked sort of like in a daze. He looked... Um... You probably would all probably played alongside someone who's kind of thinking like, are they in their own like little world? <laughs> he kind of wanted to snap out of it a little bit, and he, he looked like he was on that. Which, as you said, outside of probably Verge, is probably our most consistent form week in week out. Very strange. With him, in some defence, I know the standards for him are so high. Mm. I can probably not think of a more difficult position to play in against Man City because they really pack the middle of the tough job, yeah. They've got the most technical midfield that perhaps you'll ever see in terms of just being little and nifty and ball sticking to your feet and low centre of gravity, sharp dribbling. It's a tough job for him to have there. And so you can easily see why you could just be put in a days of dizziness just chasing mm. around after those. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's hard to, like you said, you start chasing it, start trying to overdo it. Um, I didn't even blame him too much for the goal. It, the Bruyne would drift past a lot of people. It's not, yeah, I don't, yeah. And I think it's a good finish as well, with, with a, obviously a helpful deflection that really is, couldn't have helped him any more. But it's, the, it's, it's, it's not it's being a alert to the quick free kick isn't great, is probably what I would say. Not brilliant. Sorry, Alex. I think, no, sorry. It's, it's a testament to, to be able to remain that sharp for 90 minutes um, and be aware of the tactical vulnerabilities that you've got with a Man City midfield that is that sharp, is that nifty. It it says a, like there's a lot of there's a lot of defenders out there that are good defenders, but it's it's like a raw a defensive intelligence that he has that really brings a sharpness to his game. That over the 90 minutes, like there's not many other centre backs in the league at the moment. That well, there, there isn't. There's no centre backs as good as him in the league at the moment. But to maintain that for 90 minutes, there's not many better that I can think of in, well, in any of the leagues at the moment. We're talking about Fabinho here. <laughs> no, but you touched on Van Dyke for a minute. Yeah. I'm happy to praise Virg. Um, 
<laughs> Fabinho, we, we do have to say, he's lucky to still be on the pitch after 90 minutes. We seem to be saying this a lot about Liverpool players. Oh, well, we do, we do. And I don't know, it's a tough one yesterday as a referee because, for one, it doesn't help that 90% of Premier League officials do come from the Manchester area. So when you are picking <laughs> a whole group, um, I know Jack's thoughts on Anthony Taylor and look, there's not one official in this league that I would he, defend. He's just um, been announced as our FA Cup semi-final uh, referee weekend. So <laughs> Anthony Taylor at Wembley, roll it back the years. So I saw uh, someone had done a table and it was showing the referees and how many games between the top four they've officiated and effectively they did just use what they clearly believe is their best group of officials for this game so I don't think it was from any place of he's from Manchester, he's he's not this, that But do you think there was a thing yesterday of not wanting to be the guy that ruined that game? Yeah yeah, it probably yeah. was he had a crazy amount of scrutiny on him as well because of the Manchester thing yeah, I think there's less chatter about him not giving it than if he gave it and gave a reds and killed the That's game because they would have robbed us of like a really good game. I don't, know, it I don't think it's the most scandalous decision either. And I, I, no. I know there's probably a, you would say that sort of feel to that. I don't think yeah. it's the most outrageous we've seen. You no, know what I mean? Though it's when we see and we see certain decisions that are scrutinised down to the tiniest little thing, and it's like and it's in a TV game. What? two weeks ago and you have the uh, Allen one on St Maximin mm. and it's like if you compare if you compare the two the Fabinho one's worse yeah 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 that was and so it just makes it just makes no sense yeah. when you see it like that yeah and then the I don't know how Thiago stays on the pitch I mean the boat could have probably been booked about four times um <laughs> And then the latter one is absolutely one of those where he looks down in his little book and sees, oh shit, I've booked him previously. Sure. Come on, yeah. come over here. I'm going to give you the talking to and we're going to make it look here. Look, one more gonna... chance. You do this again, then I'm going to have to do it. It's kind of a signal to the manager, isn't it? Like, look, get this guy off or I'm going <laughs> to send him off. Which you only usually get in kids' football way. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah. Do you want to sub in before I have to uh, <laughs> send him off? But... And then the first time you see one of those, you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, come, thing is, come the end of the season, Man um, City could feasibly say, well, hang on a minute. How did how did those two decisions, and I don't think, I think they've had a, a fair few go there. I, I was about to say, my heart won't be bleeding for them too much when you consider some no, of the ones they've had. But it is that one of those where thing. just to say, okay, I don't want to ruin the game. Maybe in the grand scheme of things, there's a bit more at stake. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably fair. Yeah, because I think we'd said, have then, heard about it a bit more if if that was De Bruyne on Fabinho. Well, you'd have probably heard about it more if one team had won or lost, wouldn't you? Yeah, is, is the truth of it. It always gets brought up a little bit more in that case. Um, like, but yeah, as Jack just touched on there, the Everton penalty. There's a very, very odd one with Wolves and Newcastle with City. So that like, that Wolves one, I look back. Yeah. How the fuck was that? Yeah. Going? And that's, I, um, you know, what, four points we're talking about different, yeah. probably could have been for City. So it's, yeah. I, I barely needed to refresh my Twitter timeline. And due to the people I follow, it was just a flurry of, if Granite Xhaka made that tackle. 
the same with any crime that's committed now, though, isn't it? So this is Granite Xhaka, the book's thrown at him. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is usually fairly accurate. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but it is also, go. as ever with these things, kind of like his reputation hasn't been earned at all. Yeah, although, I mean, Fabinho, we're not viewing him as perhaps the cleanest tackler in the world, although... I think he's a saint. He, he doesn't have Granit Xhaka's reputation, but nobody does, so I do no. agree with you. Um, just before we move on then, so for all of this was billed as a title decider, <laughs> we do still have seven games left. Neither manager, I don't think, can comfortably say they've won it or lost it. I mean, Klopp's tried to concede the title a few times. <laughs> <laughs> the old AJ reverse jinx playing out in post-match presses. It's not even... I, 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 I didn't even start it. I, I, I'm just... No, you just I, hijacked I, it. Yeah, I just hijacked it. <laughs> you used Luke's own spell on him. Pep said afterwards, which was very fair, we still need nothing less than 21 points. Like, that is the level we're playing at here. And Klopp said the same. Look, nothing changes for us. We still have to win every single game. Yeah, to that end, I guess it's no different, is it? And so it, it's not like it was won or lost, but... I look at that... To... I was Go just going to say, I look at that running as well, and Cities is much more favourable. They've it, just got so many, like, though. nothing games in there. Yeah, it's not even like... nothing teams. It's not even like lower league lower in the league teams it's like we're talking mid-table teams that have checked out really yeah, yeah. I, that's team. effectively with both the top four race the relegation race and uh <laughs> the 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 race for the title is we don't have a relegation battle no. this weekend yeah pay to it the bastards it's, it's how much does each team need points from either city or liverpool at this stage yeah as both yeah. of them do have the power to just break you if if you have any will to let it happen or perhaps any kind of ability to check out then they are going to get that out of you yes so yeah absolutely it's just they'll find the quit in you wouldn't they? yeah on warnock's uh retirement weekend uh it's how much you're prepared to die for three points <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the, the the true value of that point yesterday for both teams is only going to be known on may 22nd yeah 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 absolutely um Shall we go on then to... Actually, I do still have a couple more questions. I just scrolled down on my list. Um, so they had a debate after the game yesterday as to how this Liverpool team will be remembered if they don't win more silverware. Um, which does feel a bit harsh, but that's certainly been the conversation this week. I think when Carragher's calling it the greatest rivalry ever, and at this mm. stage it's fairly one-sided, then you kind of do bring these conversations kind of into the spotlight um say liverpool don't win the champions league this year say city go on they win every game to the rest of the season are are we in five six years times gonna say well i mean they did get over 90 points that was very impressive i was was just about to say it's a really hard story to sell isn't it because like you try and tell generations like you you say to your kids if you you have kids when we're older and they get to like 15 years old. So that Liverpool team. Got something to tell us. No, I'm just no, I'm just saying that if you talk to your kids and try and sell them that this amazing rivalry where City won everything, but Liverpool pushed them all the way each time. So it's like, well, they didn't win anything. So I guess it's gonna be consigned to the history books of just, oh, just another runners up. Do you know what I mean? That uh, it, how many teams can you look back on and think, 
Fuck me, they were amazing, but they didn't win. This is exactly Newcastle. Like Keegan's Newcastle is the only team that I see get talented. But they didn't win anything. Is the the difference? I think it's not that we haven't won anything. No, I think I think I think I think to be fair, unfortunately for these two teams, it shows. Unfortunate for City. Right. yeah, the the rival no no the rivalry the rivalry aspect um, doesn't just come from their results on the pitch and the points put on the board. It does come from the characters off the pitch and the things that go on, you know, off, off outside of ninety minutes. And we live in an era at the moment where everybody's got to be politically correct, so you don't get a lot of the controversial aspects of these rivalries that you did in the past. I mean, That's you know, a, so I'd say it's the opposite of what you're saying. It quite literally well, is it, solely what happens on the pitch. No, that's like what he's saying, isn't it? it. They, they no, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. I, that's they what I'm saying. Characters okay, I can't. Yeah, saying yeah, characters. it's like every, everything's a lot more muted these days. So Sanitizing. it's like when you think you you don't get like Klopp and um, Klopp and um, Guardiola are, are like very complimentary of each other. They're very respectful. You're not getting like that Ferguson Arsene Wenger clash. You're not getting. Um, well, Ferguson against pretty much any of the guys that he went up against mm. where during United's era dominance. You're just not getting that. You're not getting that theatre aspect as much anymore because everybody's you know covering their mouths on and off the pitch, and See, it's you I, know it's. I don't I know totally if we agree. cared about totally, second place before though. I totally agree with AJ here. I guess like a lot's been made of this brotherhood nonsense that Klopp and Pep have going on. It's just. Did you not see that handshake? It's just sickening. Like it's just, it's not right. I mean, don't get me wrong; these are two masters of the game, and I would probably say, judging on the squads and judging what they've had to work with, I'd say that Klopp's a much better manager than Pep. He's just been unlucky that he's in the same league as an open checkbook Pep team. No, this is compare like, the actual money spent in the last five years. <laughs> there's very little in it between the two teams. Yeah, but Lee, you, the amount you, you know, you know the, the difference of this. I don't have to dumb it down and explain yeah. to you. No, but but the, the narrative we've seen the last, uh, particularly on Sky Sports yesterday, was like Liverpool have got. A we're team not poor. Of, we're not paupers, are we? No, it's, it's not, you're a, not winning the league with Spurs' team. I'm not. I'm not saying that it is, but but there is team, a there's a big difference between what the the resources the two have available. There's no getting away from that. Exactly the way I look at it, for example, is that Jordan Henderson was on the scrappy on the Brendan Rodgers is a really ridiculous buy and he's there in the heart of a Liverpool midfield that just went toe-to-toe with supposedly the best team in the world so that's <laughs> the, the selling that's, isn't that's really what, making much they're still buying the same quality of player with I, the money they're spending I don't I don't think that's necessarily true though I mean you look at Grealish right I'd say that Diaz is better than Grealish in ball, but, but that's, uh, a, that's a bit of a standout one in, in, in Grealish and yes I, so I'm not saying City aren't more ones. financially the, the, powerful the, 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 reason, the reason why Man City can buy these players for 60 million here there and everywhere is because they can offer them astronomical wages and that's what we don't necessarily get to see because of Liverpool's wage structure etc don't get me wrong <sighs> I'm, I'd love to bash Liverpool as much as I can but if you look at they've spent big on Alisson they've spent big on Van Dijk and Realistically, they're not dropping 60 mils numerous times over numerous transfer windows. It's They know a guy, they identify him, they go for it. And, and this is why I feel that if you put Pep in charge of that Liverpool squad and Klopp in charge of Man City, I, I think you get the same result. I think City would come out on top, but that's because Klopp's there. I don't think Pep has... Pep, if they can't fit his style, they would just get rid of him and find someone that can. I think there's a constant urge to try and downplay... 
Pep's achievements because of the money they spend, like other teams I, aren't spending money see, as well. I, I just think, I think it's also the thing that you can't spend money like City do and then be furious <laughs> when people point out you spend the money. Not at all. Got to, which is what they want. And, and by the way, yeah, look, for example, you said there may be some overstatement of, um, you know, Liverpool aren't exactly like I said, they're not poor, but they still can spend money. But I actually, I think for a large period of time, because we've been going toe-to-toe with City, there hasn't really been much acknowledgement that, that the gap in resources between them. I think Klopp is making up that gap. And I think Neville is right to point out that once you take Klopp out of the equation, are Liverpool going to be able to do that? I would question it. I've said it on this pod previously. I think the ownership get away with certain things because of the manager they've got in place. I, I, I think I, post-Klopp will be a different I, time. Probably, I think you're understanding this a little bit, if I'm honest with you. I tend to agree with you massively, I think, because I feel that you take... I get what you wouldn't want it with Liverpool. I, I wouldn't want to give them it either. No, no, I I'm think that's, even... that's a fair... If you, at, if you look at City, for example, if you put another manager in there, they've won things before Pep, they'll win things without... Yeah, the, the ownership can point to, well, we did have, we won this before you. Exactly, whereas Liverpool, from where Klopp picked them up, and I know they've added to it, and I know they've spent money, but... It's just everything down from the recruitment to what it's got out of the players that are existing, like heritage players and what yeah. it's got. Like, I, I, was, I was sat there watching the game yesterday, just looking at John Matip in the first. I was like, <laughs> the Falca free agent, and he's just been one of the most solid. I know obviously he wasn't that solid yesterday, but they have, they've only conceded 20 goals in the season. I was like, how's, how's he got to that level? Where, how has that happened? But I posed the argument, and I mean, I don't particularly like defending City I think there's just some it's somewhat accentuated in that when you look at the the figures the majority stat that Liverpool fans stand behind in all of these arguments is the net spent and we talk about the great job that Liverpool do in selling players but we aren't seeing that on the pitch the the argument of course is that City have far more expendable cash so they can't so Liverpool can't take as many risks but in the same way that Liverpool don't see that net spend on the pitch, as long as they're still spending similar amounts to Man City, they just still have a similar quality of player. In the same way that Arsenal or Spurs or whoever taking wages off their books isn't showing up on the pitch as long as the money what, just keeps rolling through and rolling through. Like, why it's relevant is because if you've had to, if you sold players, you've taken a step back for example I know it's, it's always the play that one the Coutinho one you look at that's a big step back in what you're losing where City never have to take that step back they always have right we're at we're at five yeah. I can go up to ten if, whereas we're at five you've got to go down to three to come back up you see what I mean and yeah I'm, there's I always agree. a little bit like sometimes with Spurs would sometimes sell a player and then spend money you wouldn't go well they spent huge it's they've had to sort of balance it a little bit I think it's been a bit different, though, in in the ways that when you look at, say, uh, Arsenal Spurs, in the way that... And it is because you do a better job of selling players. So when Arsenal sold Fabregas or Arsenal sold Nasri or Arsenal sold Van Persie, they didn't have the resources to then, on top of that, go and replace Coutinho with and bring in whoever it is that you bring in and go and top up the... Diaz or whoever without selling the players you have still been able to maintain a certain level of squad it's not that you haven't lost Mo Salah 
you haven't lost Van Dyke, you haven't lost Allison, you've still spent a lot of cash. And I do think it is more impressive what Liverpool are doing to keep up with City. I do think Klopp is getting the absolute max out of every single player. I just think the narrative sometimes is that Pepe is quite simply just a checkbook manager. Um, Liverpool yeah. are operating we, we in like know. a different stratosphere to, to City yeah. in terms of finances. When It's far more similar when you do look deeper into it. We know, we know that that's not the case. And I think like most people would understand it. I think if you look at Pep, it's just, like I said, when you look at the team that he's inherited, the team that he has now, he can afford to just have a central, central defender on like, 200k a week. I'm just like, nah, I can't bother with you at the moment. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging he's got the easier job while saying how well he's doing it. I exactly. Yeah. Stuff with wage structure, it's like, I don't know why this is something we praise. Like, Liverpool not wanting to pay Mo Salah 400 grand a week. It's like, this isn't something we should be patting you on the back for. Like, if the bloke's worth the money. Well, it's good. you'll see the flip side of that if he goes, I'm, won't you? I'm not, I'm not praising them for enforcing it. I'm just saying that that's a constraint that City don't have. And we have also said that Liverpool are probably the model you would look to replicate outside because outside of getting a mega rich owner in, it's the sort of best you can do whilst, you know, having, having some level of money. It's, it's probably the, the model you aim for in terms of recruitment, etc. Like is what you with, try and go for. The thing with Liverpool is that at Chelsea, it's kind of when we sign a player, it's like, will it work? Will it not work? And we'll find out. At Liverpool, you know that most of your signings are pretty much slam dunks. And apart from like the odd Minamino or like, What's that other one? That Vich. He was basically a like carbon copy. Malkovich? Something of Vich. So, signed in the Brendan. Was, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty. We, I mean, we weren't going to sign players then. Christ. He was a Rogers no. signing. Yeah. yeah. No, we, we, our, our record was terrible then. Malkovich. But, but, but now, it just seems that like you you buy, you do your due diligence and you buy for your system as opposed to like looking at what Lukaku's done this season. Like, it just seems like the worst buy ever. Yeah. Same, same with Werner. You know what I mean? So, but then I guess that's Charles's fault for not having the system longer than two years. With City, is a big part of it not that, to be honest, it makes us all feel a lot better if we can just point at the team that's at the top and say, well, look, all they did was buy that. And we feel better thinking, well, our team po- couldn't possibly compete with that when, as, why... as you've all agreed, there is a bit more to it than that rather than just chucking money at it. Like City... You only, have to look at, City, you only have to look City, at the other City, I can accept that. Just about the money. Yeah, exactly. City, I can accept that. City, I can accept that. But Chelsea, no, they've just mm-hmm. that that just bought stuff. I mean, look but, at some of the look at the way they spent some of that money. Is probably something we should point to in and in terms of success early on. That's also partly why, and it's mainly because you don't know City fans and that you know that a lot of bad Liverpool fans. But it's also why people don't mind City winning things. So yeah. You go, oh well, well, I can just put that pin that on the money, and we don't have to look at it ourselves. But it's a fairly simple one, Luke, in terms of the why we sort of pointed out. It's football as in life. If someone saves up and buys a house or a car or whatever, you admire that. If someone did it and their dad gave them 80% of the money, you don't admire it as much. They both ended up in the same place. It's absolutely fine. You ended up with a house, whatever. It's great. But you don't have as much respect for someone who, who kind of got the money or something because you got a head start. It feels like you kind of had a bit of a run on everyone else. Nothing wrong with that. But of, just, of the two teams, I Liverpool. I, I don't want to be coming across as a city. I, uh, no, I, I think probably what, yours, what your uh, the view you said is probably some level of fatigue of being told Liverpool. It, have Neville yesterday it was it was like a sob story. Yeah, yeah, and I think the, probably the nature of the way Neville's 
says for me, I think he's he's pretty much on the money. But where it's kind of you've kind of got a lot of Neville, it's kind of like okay, I get the point. You don't need to sort of rally down my throat quite goes, as much. And I'm a United fan saying that. So yeah. if I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah, I, I get. It. I think the points are absolutely spot on. But if you get told it enough, and then you probably got to go online and see a load of uh, probably dreadful Liverpool fans also saying it. I can see that it probably would be like I don't I don't need to hear this. Something I, I think I think you're I think you'll probably you've got a fair point with Jack's point about if you swap the two managers in the roles, I do think Klopp obviously has a lot of better time than Pep. I think Pep would struggle a little bit by comparison. The pra- the praise you do need to give Pep is if you consider our record, Pep, Klopp's record against Pep used to be very good. It used to be quite one sided. And the way he's managed to kind of work it out, and it's obviously very level now, I think is probably one of the better adverts for how just how good a manager he is and how he's able to tweak that. I think as well, like the fact that he can keep his team focused in every composition, that usually in the last stages of the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup. Every time, is, yeah, every, it's insane. Every single season, as well as probably winning, if not finishing second or whatever in the Premier League. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, we know Pep's a great manager, but this conversation is just about I feel that he's got it slightly easier than Klopp has, yeah. which I think yeah. is bad to point it out. In in terms of how this team will be remembered if they don't if they don't win anything more this season and I guess we'll project ahead to next season and say that City continue their success. Um something I look back on and we spoke a few weeks ago and I don't wanna dig you out here, Alex, it's just helping to make my point. Uh <laughs> we were speaking about the little we were speaking about the Liverpool 13-14 team that finished second by two points and I brought up Daniel Sturridge in some I, kind of context and there was laughter. Happened, did it? don't remember that season. No. Well, there was, there was laugh. <laughs> there was I, um, I, about Sturridge. Alex was being I, very disrespectful, wasn't it? He got no, 24 yeah, goals I, I was, He was unbelievable. I was, I was big enough. Um, I was big enough. The so the the topic was we were saying uh, the impact that Virgil van Dijk has had Um in a squad, and we were looking for players to compare to that level of impact, that level Suarez. of influence. And I was big yeah, enough yeah. Suarez. Saying, yeah. we, we mentioned Sturridge, and even in the, the short moment, it was a Sturridge. And it's just some of these players where, if you don't have the trophy attached to your name, if Liverpool win the league that year, and we can point to Sturridge having 21 goals, 24 goals, sorry, in a title-winning team, yeah, the conversation is completely different. And so you do need this attached to your name to be carried through because if City continue to be as successful as they are, and it's already happening, um, people are looking at Klopp and going, you've only won one Premier League mm. with this team. And it things change very quickly. And I do think, so what happens then is you remember the individual players more than the teams. Um, my favourite group of Arsenal players was probably 2008. Fabregas, Nasri, Van Persie, Walcott, Arshavin, Rosicki, Eduardo. They were nothing. That team is forgettable oh, to yeah. a lot I mean, of people. You're remembering that as a fan. Yeah, you ask like, um, the neutral, they aren't going to remember that team. No, really. but they're going to remember More Fabregas certainly. played well, Nasri played well, Van Persie played well. Arshavin can score four goals in a game, yeah. that sort of thing. And so it's really, you need to be able to just put that little gold star next to the team yeah. to remember them as a collective. And I don't think Van Dijk wants in... 10 years' time, people have gone, that Van, that Van Dyke was a great footballer rather than that he Liverpool defence with Trent, I, I still, Robertson, I, I, Van Dyke, Matip, hmm. Canate. Yeah. 
I, I still maintain my previous back back to that. I think you need that element of theatre as well, because you remember. I think you do remember the teams that didn't win anything, like that Newcastle team. You know, it's. I think you do need that element of theatre, and I just don't the, think the this, this this Man City this Man City and this Liverpool team at the moment they don't they don't really have that. And I, I'm, is, like, it sounds so disrespectful. And they're supposed to manufacture it. Is that's what, the only the, thing they could do worse than be like this is if have a fake beef. It would be well, just boxing, boxing does that. <laughs> yeah, but for, for necessity. Yeah, you know. no, I uh, yeah, I, I know, I know, but it's it's because because nowadays it's so everything's got to be so PG and politically correct. Like, uh, it's, it's not. We've, we've like, like we've won we, enough that we're still talking about them as a great team. Yeah. And the fact that this is a little bit different. Does at least set it apart, doesn't it? Anyway, I agree well, with you. I would rather I would rather they were slagging each other and they were allowed to sort of. Um, well, just like, each other like out to give you an example, to give you an example, like so in the last year, I think like there's so so like if we were to compare, if we were to compare a like a sport talking point, so we we've often like you know we people on the, this podcast have made their opinions clear on like sports like F one, but. The what happened at the end of the previous last one, F1 season has been talked about more mm. than this City Liverpool rivalry. And I mean, I yes. I, I respect yes. Formula One more than some people on the podcast, but I'm not going to turn around and say I prefer it as a sport. And I don't like. I think football has a bigger stage, and it should have a bigger stage. Something talked about. I, I, I will remember. I, I think in 20 years' time, I will remember that end to that Formula One season more than this Man City Liverpool season. We're not even talking about the season, it's just talking about whether you need the success to be able to kind of have that remember about the team. That's the thing, I don't think, I I think it's a combination of a success obviously on one half of the one half of the the, um, the story, but it's that it's the it's the theatre of it that is the thing that you remember the most because, like we said, that Newcastle team you you remember the interviews you remember you you remember the moments off the pitch and you remember the moments on the pitch. I think more than this okay. this current rivalry. Yeah, they didn't win anything. If Liverpool win two more champ- if Liverpool win another league in a Champions League and the two teams say nothing but kind words about each other. We're still talking about a great Liverpool team that won two league titles and two Champions yeah. Leagues. Did anyone finish watching that on Sunday and go, "Oh God, I wish these two just hated each other a bit, though"? You know, no, yeah. I just watched an incredible game. Yeah, like, no, I, I, did. I did. I wanted to see what needed. No, in an ideal world, but if we accept that they probably aren't just going to have some massive falling out of nowhere, except we've got what we've got. Yeah, I mean, we've gone from Jose Mourinho literally <laughs> gouging a guy with cancer's eye <laughs> to, to now like hugs and kisses and like love stories but in each press conference it, like, it's been a bit like we have to have that to be able to enjoy it. i saw a tweet yesterday talking about uh the arsenal united rivalry and it was a gen- genuine tweet and this guy said i remember leaving old trafford after the uh keon and van Efteroy incident and i had a coin lobbed at the back of my head and someone in the reply said yeah i remember driving out of the game and someone put a brick through my windscreen like <laughs> This was the glory days of the rivalry here. This was just, this was a different level. These guys hated each other. I told my mum she couldn't have me on Vodafone because it was on the front of United shirt. I didn't see like, someone say that. <laughs> this doesn't mean I'm, I'm still remembering two great teams because they won something. These teams don't want to be remembered for just having a rivalry. They want to be remembered yeah. 
for the trophies that they've won, and we will remember them for that if they do it. So, City you're right. Gonna... If we win more things, it will be remembered more as a great rival, and you won't need any of this stuff. And the other thing is, as well, we have enough time to get nostalgic about these other things. You need time to settle this, and in a yeah. few years' time, people are going to be very nostalgic about this Liverpool Man City rivalry and the games that played. Each game has been a bit of a blockbuster so far, so we're going to be looking back on this as sort of fondly. Yeah, I do. I do think the the thing about us winning things is we definitely need to as well because sort of coming runner up with the highest points total is kind of as a fan you feel like unlucky, but when you say it out loud, it seems like probably the most loser thing you can say. It feels kind of Spursy in a way. We've laughed at every other team coming second in the last five years. We've laughed at Arsenal coming second to Leicester, Spurred coming third in the two-horse race. We've laughed at United. Last year, we were mocking United for coming second. Yeah, and the kind of coming second on 97 points, you should go 97 points, you win your league every other year. This is incredibly unlucky. But the history books will just say that City won. And because Liverpool is what it is, people won't need much excuse to basically say... Yeah, you're losers, mate. Unlucky. But having said that, the whole thing of this can't really be a rivalry unless Liverpool win more. Pretty much every rivalry ever has always had one that won significantly more than the other. And so we won't be that much different. If you look at the NBA league, the rivalry is the Lakers-Celtics. Celtics won all of them bar one. Lakers won one. That's a You wouldn't call that a rivalry on paper, but no. everyone looks back on it like it is. So you, I do agree Liverpool probably do need to win more but I don't think I think this is already a great rivalry. I think if it ended tomorrow, we would all, we could already call this not necessarily the best rivalry, but a great. That's one. that's the issue, isn't it? They was called the best because people were immediately point. I think it was like ninety seven to four Arsenal and United went four and four, and yeah. so people just. But then even that United ended up obviously pulling away on the exactly line, exactly, and then the Chelsea United one's pretty one sided originally in Chelsea's favour, and United go the other way. So it always happens this way. I think. The, the thing people are looking at is when you point to the points totals and things like that, you're saying, all right, you shouldn't need to be gloating. And I'm not saying you're gloating, but you shouldn't need to be pointing to a, a highest points tally. And second, it should be, well, we won the league the year before. Well, we won the league the next year. We won the yeah, Champions it, League that year instead. It, it is difficult as well, isn't it? Because you're going to look at the, that number of points and be like, how did this team only have one title it yeah. makes no sense but it's just it should be used as kind of a probably testament how good city are but it'll probably be used as a means of bashing liverpool I mean, you got all this and you couldn't win kind of like that guy who tweeted uh that obviously spurs had that year where they had the most points yeah. in the two seasons on the potch but didn't win anything that was kind of used as a thing to call it very spursy i guess liverpool are, are out spurs and spurs in that sense and there was nothing wrong with what he pointed out by the way he was absolutely on the money yeah. to point out what pochettino <clears throat> done but I, I, I'm aware of how it looks. Because if you ask Klopp, would you rather come second with 97 or would you w- rather win a title with 80 points? He's going to take the latter every single time. So it's like... Yeah. And it, it, maybe he's, he could just say, well, look, I was unlucky I came along at the same time as Pep. If I don't, I'm yeah. winning every league title that I can to. So. And you well, are essentially... The, the two are getting the points totals because the other's there. Like the season that one of them drops off, the other isn't reaching that, that same points total because they don't need to. Um, Liverpool so are able good, to go yeah. out drinking before they play Arsenal <laughs> um, <laughs> just as a final thing and I think it does speak to the embarrassment of riches that both teams have they were able to debate on commentary yesterday would you rather win the Premier League or the Champions League this year <laughs> um, 
But just out of interest, which one would you rather win this year? Uh, I would rather win the league. I think you get more credit for that this year. Well, it's we we both want the other, don't we? City will get more credit if they win the Champions League. That will be the holy grail until they do win it. And we need one because we've only won one. And everyone's going to be like, oh, which is a bit of a misleading one. Because what, if we win the next five, oh, you won six Premier Leagues in 35 years. You think that's not a great record. So you, we can't really win that one. But yeah, probably the times because we're, we're in debt on that one. Getting the draw held against you if you win the Champions League this year. That's absolutely happening. In the same way that Chelsea won the Champions League last year, and people were talking about it like, look, it's just a competition, just a cup competition. You can get lucky and you you, you can win that. Well, so, in in your words, in your words, we take we take the it, it, we put it down as the Premier League title, which uh, which um, which Klopp lost, and the Champions League final, which Pep Guardiola lost, as opposed well, to the oppo- opposite way Pep around. Did absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, when he said. Last week, he just likes purposely making things more complicated. I don't think he was lying. Um, if Wish we go on, Sunday. yeah, wow. if we go on to slightly lower down in the table, then and we have the uh, race for top four. Since we last spoke, we've had a six point swing in the table. Um, if we speak about the Arsenal game first, and we'll speak about Spurs, and then we'll speak about kind of how the race has unfolded and is unfolding. Um, I said at the end of last week's podcast, TK, when it was just us two, I saw the starting lineups, and I think my last words were, "Oh God, Tavares is starting." Um, <laughs> those words, little did you know, how- <laughs> yeah, aged very well. Um, I was worried about the Palace game anyway. They do seem to be somewhat of a bogey team for us, particularly on a Monday night. I don't know why we always seem to be playing them on a Monday night, but but we do. Uh, the last I, Monday night game before that was Everton away. So. The best teams struggle at Southwest Park on a Monday night, okay? Yeah, Historically absolutely. great teams fall apart. <laughs> that, okay? I think what the Palace game did tell us was that the system had been exposed, and I spoke to you about this on Saturday. Uh, I saw someone within the Premier League suggest that you probably get about a grace of six to eight weeks if you're not at the top of the table where there's a bit more scrutiny on you for your system to fully be caught up and the analytics and things for each team to know, okay, this is the way we beat them. And you have to do a slight little reshuffle to get things working again. So Villa is slightly adjusted. They tried it. They couldn't pull it off. Liverpool were able to pull it off, but I think the quality in them perhaps overshadowed what they were actually doing. And then Palace ultimately realized you close the space in to Thomas Partey He's the one that turns defence into attack so quickly. And then we're going to double up on the wingers and let Lacazette and say, if he beats us, he beats us. We're pretty confident he's not going to. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where they got that idea from. Yeah. Conor Gallagher was fantastic. I mean, he pressed party to the point where his his thighs ultimately gone, just how it had previously. Tierney's injured pregame and the wheels have seemingly fallen off. Um, I think if you were to ask Arteta, not who his two best players were, if you were to ask him which two players do you not want to lose before the season ends, Party would be number one and Tierney would be number two. Just because... Right, hang on. I knew you were going to say this. I knew this was coming. <laughs> Go on. We're not you talking be- about Ben Chilwell last... here. 
You're bemoaning the loss of a left back. <laughs> I didn't say he was our most did, important did player. You, do, do you laugh? Am I laughing at you every week? You saying that? No. We're back. I, we're struggling walk, for top four. Walking walk, walk into my office, dude. It's fine. The left backs are a big part of the <laughs> <laughs> Chill, whilst it's a bigger miss. I'll put an arm around you, and we'll deal with this together. Okay. I wish we could, because <laughs> I'd have felt a approach, lot better. That's how you um, act when someone loses a really important left back, and that's how I expect to be treated in the future. No, no. You, <laughs> but you spoke about Chilwell like it was Van Dyke. Um, our issue with Tierney isn't so much Tierney, it's the fact that the backup left back's considered so weak that Granite Xhaka is considered an alternative. Yeah, we were playing Sol Negrez is the backup, because ours is even worse than that. Today. In fairness... You did loan out a competent international to Leon. Yeah, I look. I'm not going to stand here and defend our transfer policy. <laughs> so let's get back to that. the matter in hand. Do not worry about that. We won't go on too better. much of a witch hunt about clubs who let players go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And even then, I think the party one greatly overshadows the Tierney one. Party, the formation we currently play was ultimately tailored to get the best out of Party, and his effectiveness was really pushing through across the whole pitch. Um, I could show you countless times of him getting the ball with about four players around him. He slips out one pass forwards and suddenly we're in the other half of the pitch. Would, would uh, you not just bemoan the fact that you're building a team around a guy that's held together by rubber bands and sticky tape? The argument, the argument, <laughs> there, he wasn't prior to joining them. Though, yeah. He? That's, that's the argument the there. And yeah. what do they do to these players? Into, yeah, he had come into such great form. Now, I do agree with you, but while Party was fit, I think it was completely right to build a system around him. The issue is, we then go into the game this weekend. There's a big debate. Okay, what are Arsenal going to do at left-back? Last season, they put Granite Xhaka there, and literally at this point last season, Tierney got injured, and the wheels fell off. Xhaka went to left-back, the season collapsed. Um we set up with Xhaka at left-back on Saturday against Brighton, by the way, who you really couldn't have picked on paper a better team to be playing. Yeah, they're they, in the worst form a in the team, league, they've won one in, They'd won one in seven and, hadn't, and had scored one goal in their last eight. Wow. So yeah, it that's... was very bad. And we set up with Xhaka left-back Lacazette was still starting up top. Lakonga was playing in party's position, like they kept the same system, but put Smith Rowe in over Xhaka, and then Erdegaard played slightly deeper. So the midfield was kind of just completely battered. Uh, it made sense. You have Xhaka in that left hand sided position because Tierney can go forward more. He's more defensive. Erdegaard has more space to be creative. So in the changes he made, he just poleaxed the entire midfield. If you lose your best midfielder, probably don't take your second best midfielder out and put him at left back. You could go back and you could watch the game against Villarreal, the second leg last season. Now, I don't know why you'd want to do that, but if you wanted <laughs> to just prove my point, um, he tried this last time. He put Xhaka in at left back. He tried a Millsmith throw as a false nine. And we had all of the ball, but didn't manage a shot on target. He tried this system while we actually had Tierney uh, away at Burnley earlier this season, and he had to change it at half-time when we couldn't control the pitch. 
So I don't know if this is just like an idea that on paper he thinks, I don't see how this couldn't work. And I do think on paper there's something to say, okay, get your 11 best players on the pitch and we'll make it work. But it didn't happen like that. It was so slow. And I'm sure you've all watched games previously where about two minutes in, you, you just know it's not your day. It felt like we were playing with 10 men with Lacazette up top, a guy who's in the team predominantly to be linking up the play because he's now gone over 20 hours without a golf rope and play and has managed four shots on target this year. It That's brutal. Arteta spoke before the game and my notes, I'm kind of going back and forth here. Arteta was asked about the formation, the decision to put Xhaka left back and he said he set up that way to try and counter the way that Brighton would attack us because he felt like there was a particular space they were going to try and get into and Granit Xhaka was the best person to manage that and we've just spoken for an hour about Liverpool and Man City not compromising their ideas for each other and we're adjusting for a team which as I said one one win in seven their last game was a draw at home uh, at home to Norwich where they weren't able to put the ball in the back of the net. It needed to be changed at halftime, had some level of hope. And Nuno Tavares still stays on the bench. If you're going to get a guy's confidence back up, Saturday was probably the time to do it. Instead, we end up with Martinelli at left wing back. It was just the most confused game and it was absolutely on Arteta the the players were poor but at least set them up in a way to try and get something out of them I don't know how the rest of you would set up Arsenal I thought pretty simple either you put you put Tavares in there you keep Xhaka in midfield you play Lekonga but probably both of them deeper Erdegaard goes into the 10 put Martinelli up top easy Smith Rowe left Saka right It it should have been the time to try that system against Brighton rather than this just complete jumble that we ended up seeing. Yeah, I find it bizarre that anyone would think Xhaka at left back's a good idea, but certainly when you've already seen it be a bad idea. I have no idea what more you needed to do that. I'd I'd have done what you just said there, or worst case scenario, put Saka there and say, look, you've just got to do a job here for now. And um, you can still have Lacazette up top if that's what you want. You've got yeah. you put Smith Rowe left, uh, you put Smith Rowe right, Martinelli left still. <laughs> You've got more options there than you do in a uh, in a left back role, or by you know moving Jacker out of midfield. You've also not got much depth in midfield either. So, yeah. Saka actually, one. when he came into the team, the partnership that was being praised was the combination between him and Martinelli, where Martinelli was left wing and Saka was at left back. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it was. It was just so strange. A manager can't only manage to win games when he has a perfect squad. And that's something I've bemoaned since he came in. And I'm not going like some people are. We lost this game. Get him out. I can see what you're trying to do. I know we're not sacking you, so I'm going to ride it out. There's a real issue, though, when effectively you only trust about 13 players in the squad. And I think that's what we've seen with Tavares not playing. Our clear start in 11 plus either Smith, Rowe or Martinelli, whoever's not in there, and Cedric is essentially the 13 players he trusts. He doesn't trust Pepe because you could just, as you say, if you don't want to play Tavares, Saka left back, Pepe right mid. Let's do that. 
Uh, he really it, doesn't trust Pepe. <laughs> no, it's like so many chances to play him and never does. It's just the atmosphere was very low at the game, and I, I think, and it might sound stupid, I think we'd almost forgotten what it was like to lose. To be honest, and I'm not even saying that as like a <laughs> jokey thing. Would you go into a game with Brighton? And I said to you on Friday night, I didn't even really consider the possibility of losing the form they were in. <laughs> Yeah. Previously this season, we've been pretty good. at When we've had a setback, we've got straight back on the horse. And it's like, okay, it's all well and good saying we're taking each game as it comes until you lose one. And then suddenly it's mm. not every game as it comes. You you then take that into the next game. And it's just very frustrating. I don't know how many of you have seen the VAR decision to not give the Martinelli goal because it it's baffling me still two days later. What's baffling you? What he, the thing here, and this again could be a quotable, he probably is offside Mm. with the positioning and the way he plays, but you can't show me any evidence that he's offside. So when the referee and the linesman have given it as a goal, if then seven minutes later, you still can't find a conclusive <laughs> angle to tell me that he's offside. And you can look for, you can look at this for yourself. I'm not making this up. The eventual line they draw is where they predict Cucurellia's boot is. He's got white boots and they draw <laughs> where they believe the end of his boot is after seven minutes. And then you rule out the goal. And it's like, what sense does this make? This is not why VAR was brought in. The whole uh, thing was uh, drunk home clear and obvious. They were so looking for... Um, and initially, they were looking for um, uh, for something else, weren't they? No, they, were they weren't. For... They were looking for two different offsides. The first one they cleared. The second one, they, they were trying to work out uh, where oh, Martinelli I was, looking... was when the head was looking for an obstruction. What's that, Jack? I, I saw that people have been drawing the line from the keeper's boot and people just don't understand the offside. No, no, no. So, yeah, I agree with you that people that are doing that mm. are idiots. It's headed back <laughs> across goal and Kukurel, there's there's a bunch of three. You've got Kukurelia and the keeper are almost on top of each other and Martinelli's at the back post to ultimately nod to in. And you can't see whether the two of them are in front of Martinelli or you can't see if Martinelli's in front of one of them. Mm. As I said, it always feels longer in the ground anyway because you don't see the replays in front of you. Yeah. But when it's that long, I mean, the, all the Brighton players were surrounding the ref and going on and on. And even he was like, just kept shrugging his shoulders. Because at that point, look, if you want to go completely conspiracy theory, then you're trying to get a top four battle going. If you're not, it's like, what the hell are you looking for? Because you're clearly looking to disallow this goal. I, I think it was all. I think even if you do draw, still it doesn't really make any difference. Even if well, you this, won that this, match, this wasn't the 89th minute. This was this was right on the stroke of half time. Yeah, Perhaps but even if you it, the... even if you win the match, it's still a top four battle. It's still a top four battle now. I don't I don't see. It makes more, that's, it's, a, it's, that's a that's a that's a rash way. take. That's a rash take. Well, it is a rash take until you've just delayed a North London derby so you can schedule it in. One game before the end of the season. Let's let's not pretend this isn't a thing happening. <laughs> come, on, like, come on, like, come on, come on. We can see it on both sides. I'm not even doing it as a your team. Boo-hoo. Your team was one who delayed it initially. 
yeah, we we also had a game delayed with Chelsea um, that was due to take place after the Spurs game that's been that's rescheduled for beforehand. So I mean, <laughs> I don't know what what you what you're trying to point out there. As I said, Arsenal didn't deserve to win that game, but you don't always lose the games you deserve to win. You don't always win the games you deserve to lose. So at half time, if we go in one one, there's certainly a different energy in the stadium. There's a different energy on the pitch. You're more proactive with the substitutions. And at 2-0 down, the game does feel gone. It's a very good goal from Brighton now that I've watched it back. The second one, it's one where if Arsenal Mm. score it, the headlines are, it's an Arsenal-type goal. Mm. But ultimately, it's, it's, it's a sucker punch. Poor defending. It all starts with Lacazette running off his man. That man then's open on the edge of the area for a very nice finish. It's just the energy in the stadium and leaving afterwards was okay. That's that's top four done with. Like that's everything sorted. And look, you're not you're going to struggle to get Champions League football when we're relying on a 20 year old and a 21 year old to outscore Kane and Son. And that's ultimately what things have come down to at this point. Mm. I mean, I still don't think this is over by any stretch. I mean, I'm have you, have you seen our fi- have you seen our running, Jack? Gen- I'm not, not even doing this in the like. You're, you're, yours, it's yours, not remotely over. It's not remotely over at all. Is, yours is bad, but they've got Frankfurt away, Leicester at home, Liverpool away, then you, then Burnley. Who could be fine. Come on, Jack. We've got Chelsea away, West Ham away, United at home. Uh, look, I, I'm sorry. You're winning United. We've seen both. We should have beat them at Old Trafford. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we've seen we've seen both they these teams. We we we've seen both these teams yeah, lose six points from. Because... Yeah, I know, but th- that's the whole point to say to even remotely it like to even remotely talk about the the like the top four being over is ridiculous because you've seen you what the energy teams, felt like in the stadium. They shouldn't win and lose games that they should have won. I'm, I'm I not, think the thing I'm, is as well. I think there's probably a feeling of Arsenal fans they probably, at one point, probably did think they had it. And when you think you've got something and you lose it, it's a lot worse than yeah. what Spurs yeah. think. Well, we I can tell you exactly when it went downhill. Some Arsenal fan posted a Champions League compilation. I saw, I saw yeah. him get his powers. <laughs> and, and I remember seeing it on my timeline. And, and I think I quote tweeted at the time saying, what? Why have you done this? <laughs> I, yeah, I saw him get I a love a good football again. compilation. But the ones I was enjoying was like, Okay, we were being written off at the start of the season. Now we can enjoy seeing these guys play. Look, no, no matter what happens, I've enjoyed Don't this season. Don't put the Champions League music in there. Don't no, I've it. enjoyed this season far more than than previous. But yeah, it's we've suddenly gone from the articles saying top fours in Arsenal's hands to I saw articles analysing Arsenal's running compared to United and West Ham as to who's going to get sixth. <laughs> it changes Blimey. that quick, but. Just moving forward, Arteta's now has a week to say, what are we going to do to play Southampton? Because I can guarantee that they're not going to be as bad as they were on Saturday. And we also couldn't score six goals if you took the keeper out of the net. Since... Be curious experiment with lack of that. Well, in, in 2022, uh, we've won one game by more than one goal. And that was, and that was Leicester. That the was other games have taken years off my life as I watch us 
battle against Villa <laughs> as I watch his battle against. <laughs> Not, not to get sidetracked not, not side um, with getting into a bit of a transfer talk, but I'm surprised there hasn't been um, chatter yet about sort of comparing, like, oh, if if you're saying that Arsenal are going to drop out of the top four and now they lost it in the January transfer window. We're going to talk about that in about two minutes. Yeah, yeah. Where, so, where, yeah, like where you're looking at a lot of these players that have been knocking out of the part for your season, Smith well, Rowe, Saka. There's only so in, much they can give, taking nothing away from them. But there's well, only no, so much they can give. Smith Rowe was poor on uh, Saturday. I think he looks like he's playing injured, to be honest with you. Um, and mm-hmm. that maybe explains why he was out for a period, but needs must. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. That's what I mean by, like, there's only so much they can give. You know, they're yes. not they're not machines. Saka got battered again on Saturday. Um yeah, well, I, I said on our deadline day podcast that ultimately where we finish at the end of the season, Edu and Arteta are going to have to answer a lot of questions because it's not that you were expected to go out there and sign a blockbuster striker in January, but when you let Aubameyang go, and I do still believe that was the right decision, the expectation was you're going to bring someone in who can at least chip in with more than one goal this year. I don't think that's too much to ask for. When you look at someone like uh, Arta Cabral at Fiorentina, came in to replace Vlahovic, £15 million. Look at what he did on Saturday. Mm, he can yeah. do. He can offer more than Lacazette, who I can put again in the link of this episode, a compilation of his hold-up play to the, to the instrumental of someone just heavy breathing because <laughs> it's just that painful to watch. And the energy in was very different towards him on uh, Saturday. Um, yeah, that, that's that's on them. Edu's been, I've been as critical as him as I have of anyone. And when you let that many players go, as TK referenced before, and when you don't bring in replacements, you can take the plaudits for having a close-knit together squad. But as much as yeah. I love Tierney, he doesn't have the reputation of, of being the most robust party you look at him last season and I think the belief was okay now we've got him back and he's got rid of this injury because ultimately it was the same injury that just kept reoccurring okay we've got rid of that now we've given him the proper rest that's behind him we're finally getting the best out of the player and you figure on top of these two we've had uh, Tommy Asu out since Christmas he's played one game and that was he came back after injuring his right calf played against Liverpool and injured his left calf I'm first time we so... saw him on the bench on Saturday was just the first proof that he was alive. There was people offering <laughs> offering him in the crowd to transplant their calves to him. <laughs> I'm seeing and so that's, many... that's, that's half our back four, gone. And our foundation was built upon. We were keeping clean sheets. Ramsdale was in the, in the Golden Glove conversation. Now he's in the uh, Sheffield United conversation again let's not go too far he had some great saves he had some great saves against uh, Leicester he had a mistake against Liverpool where he was injured and then I mean it wasn't his best game yesterday but uh, on Saturday but I'm not pinning it on him he needed to do better with that second goal let's be honest come on he gets a hand to it you see how fast it was (laughs) I think he needs to do better going back to Tommy Asso I'm seeing a lot of um, conspiracy theories about the this is this board. is it's it's nonsense. It's literally one tweet that 
Go on, go on, go on. What's what this? So the, the accusation is that he was the guy where the, there was the booking controversy surrounding him. Oh, um, right. When it was proven that it was Xhaka. Tomiyasu didn't get booked in the game that it was referred to against Leeds. Tomiyasu's picked up one booking since he came to the club, and that was in his debut. So, yeah, I can I can uh, rule that one out now. It just so <laughs> happens that uh, his calves appear to be made of paper mache. Um, and it's a real shame because He's good he player. was fantastic for us, and yeah. the balance with him and Tierney on either side, uh, it's no surprise that... Uh, Gabriel's looked weaker the last two games when he's had Tavares next to him and then Xhaka, well, he didn't have anyone next to him was the issue. Um, so suddenly the back four looks a bit weaker. Spurs then, in comparison, so I mean, six-point swing, what a nine-goal swing as well, have stepped up their form. And as I said, the, the main thing, their strikers have started scoring. When I left the Arsenal game and to really rub salt into the wound, I actually missed the Arsenal goal because I left on 82 minutes. Um, the length that the VAR check took on top of there was three tube delays on Saturday and I was like, Look, if if we were in a close game, I'd have rode it out in it and get a later coach back if I had to. I wasn't hanging around for what I was seeing on the pitch. When I saw... Pepe be offside from a short corner. I thought, okay, that's that's me done now. I'm getting out of here. Um, and then I hear the cheer go up about a minute after I've left the ground. And I had this internal debate where obviously I want us to get the goal, but I'd also be fuming that I wasn't in the stadium <laughs> for it. Um, but there we go. Uh, we got a deflection from Welbeck, so he's actually done more for us since he left than uh, Lacazette's done. Spurs then, so... Kane quite clearly is the difference. He's stepped up since the turn of the year and really gone up to another level since you went out the FA Cup to Middlesbrough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's not he's something we did not... Sorry, yeah, go on, go on. It's not something we didn't know. We know, and not even to be disrespectful to Spurs, I think we all know Spurs will go as far as Harry Kane takes them. Mm. And it just so happens he's gone to another level. You brought yeah. in Kuliszewski, you brought in Benton Kerr. Kuliszewski's been great. And I think mm. anyone that had heard of him previously knew the type of player he could be. But granted, I don't think anyone thought it would click this fast. When you mentioned the fact that you signed players and we didn't, Kuliszewski and Benton Kerr have played in every game since Spurs were eliminated from the FA Cup. And I do think the main selling point of Benton Kerr is that he isn't winks or skip. Like, I don't want to... Well, I do want to be disrespectful here. I, I don't think Benton Kerr is a needle mover, as far as I've seen. No, but at the same time, no, he's no, not no. making mistakes either. So It's bad in what they have. Yeah, exactly. I, I would... I would t- I, I'm not going to disagree with that statement at all. Like, in all honesty, I, I think you remember me saying, I I had the contribution to the team um, the other way around in terms of Benton Kerr being the more of a... Like, the more of a... I'm not saying missing piece, but looking more like that than Kuliszewski is. So it it's yeah, it is it is it is quite a contrast. But like talking about the game, I um it a lot of comments were made about how the the scoreline didn't tell the true tale of the game in terms of you know Villa were in the match and they played well. I yeah. just uh, you know it really was. 
on a different day, they net the ball. Loris doesn't make uh, like three of the saves that he did, and it's a four-three. It's a four-three game or a three-three game. You know, it's it's just one of those. I don't think we were anything spectacular, but you've just got that decisive class at the end of the pitch in Kane and Son that are knocking out of the park for you with uh, a sidings complementing that momentum. I think I more, needs, to... more needs to be said about Stephen Gerrard's management as well. Well, I've certainly so you can mention that. I, I got to the, I got off the tube at quarter past five, went to get a Burger King, sat down, got a message to say that the horse I picked for the Grand National had fallen at the first fence for, okay, we're in for the day. <laughs> um, put all the mayo on my chips. And then, unfortunately, you know, when you get kind of salad creamy mayo, had that after I'd already poured it all on my chips, so it really wasn't my day. Um, got a text from my uncle saying, we just got to hope for a favour from Aston Villa now. And then before I even had a chance to check the score, I don't know, a message just saying shit. And three minutes in, Sun's obviously got the first goal. I checked the stats just as I've got on the coach, and I see that half-time Villa have had more possession, they've had more shots on target. I thought, okay, maybe it's not over. And then the second I had that ping in my pocket for another goal, deep down I knew. I knew where that goal was going. <laughs> and then, yeah, just the depression then of seeing three pop up and four pop up. But if Sun's going to do that for you, that's going to be what gets you into the top four. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, like, there's, there, there is a, you know, plenty of losses in this in this side still like I think Villa showed a lot of cracks in in that team at the weekend just as much as we showed that decisive that decisive striking force but I think there is plenty of points that we could lose between now and the end of the season I don't think the the splash of goals that we've had in the last three games has been great um I think there's match fixing (laughs) we all noticed about a year ago Effectively, you sit in a low block, you make Spurs come and beat you. Some <laughs> kind of bungs must have been dished out because everyone suddenly thinks, hang on a minute, is Doesn't sound like thought about style, pressing these guys? And they try it. And it's like, why are you trying this? <laughs> I, I, mocked, I mocked Jamie Redknapp the other week when he was watching uh, United... Was it United City or was it Liverpool United? And he was saying it from a City fan. He he effectively said, I think, if you're a Liverpool fan, if you're a Liverpool player watching that, you're absolutely fuming with the effort they've put in there. And I said, well, I'm sure that's probably the last thing they're worried about. I'm seeing what so many teams are doing against Spurs and thinking, if I'm an Arsenal player sat watching that, I'm thinking, what the hell are you playing at here? Because it's no secret. I don't know why they're approaching the games like this, especially with Kane because he's playing this kind of almost like a deep false nine. He's effectively yeah. doing what, what Arsenal fans are trying to tell you Lacazette was doing six games ago. <laughs> yeah. and he's doing it to an elite level. And yet teams seem to think giving him all the time in the world is just a good way to go about things. Paul Merson was quoted today. And this could be one of his that ages very well. It could be one of his that ages very poorly. And he effectively says, 
you can tell me all you want about how well Kulishevsky's playing. If the level of Kane drops at all, effectively, you're not you're not going to notice anything from Son or Kulishevsky because all we're seeing is just the brilliance of Kane. And I've butchered what he's saying, but he's basically saying I saw who's, yeah. who, who's going to create the space or play them in if it's not Kane. Yeah, I, I get I get what he's saying. Um, I agree with him to a certain extent, but you know, to say that to say that like highlights certain in particular, you know, the guy who puts the ball in the back of the net at the end of it is just as important as the guy who creates a chance in the first place. I mean, I was saying he wasn't few... doing that before Kane started firing again because he had a stinker mm. of a half a season, and then all he of a did, sudden it, he did, but he was still our top scorer. So it's you know. I think it's we were I was saying a few weeks ago that we were we really lack that creative player that Ericsson like that what Ericsson was for us when he was at was at Spurs. Um and now Kane has slotted into that role. He I know he hasn't scored in the last few games, but he is still getting those goals as well. I mean, remember you posed the question a few weeks ago, will he get to that 17 goal tally? Yeah. Um I think he's five away from that now. I I, I wouldn't bet against him getting to that 17 goal tally, but you know, you did a few uh, ago. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. Um, I, was... I wouldn't know. But even if he doesn't get to the end of the season, he doesn't hit that 17 goal tally. He doesn't look like he, he is still contributing to that to that team in a completely different way from a creative creative aspect. But you know, taking nothing away from Sun, he's on a he's what second top second highest top scorer in the league now. I think I don't know. I didn't want it. I it was all I could do to watch the highlights of Spurs today. He he did. I think he is their second in the table right now, uh, as with Salah having a decent gap on him. But you know, if he carries on that kind of form towards the end of the season, and Salah carries on as he is at the moment with that dip in form, you know, it's a lot to ask. It is. It is a lot to ask, but it's possible. Um, and I think when you put in a conversation like that in the mix to say that it's not a part, it's a one-man show and not a partnership. It's a bit disrespectful, but I well, get no, where he's coming from. I get, I get where he's coming from. They're both, what I'm trying to say is they're both equally important links in the chain here. I'm not so sure. I think Kane yeah. is astronomically more important than Sun is. It happens all the time when a player's linked it's, away. It's, it's, not, it's Sun's not there then, who's putting the ball in the back of the net as consistently as Sun is for us. Well, I'm not saying it's going to be as consistent. I'm just saying Sun is... Yeah, but that's the point. That's the very point. That it, That is... That it, they're the team at well, the it's moment. Just not, they're, I'm, they're I'm not saying Sun's useless it's, without Kane. I'm saying that his level drops considerably when yeah, Kane isn't there, which isn't an insult. This isn't an insult to him. But then in but previous years, we have had instances where Kane's been out for sustained periods and Son has stepped up. So I don't quite buy that. And also... I mean, you wouldn't want over the course of a whole year, but in spells, he's shown well, it. There's Arsenal fans highlighting parts of uh, Kane's ankle and tweeting it to Basuma to target. I did see that. <laughs> Um, and a lot of yeah. disgusted Spurs fans in the replies. <laughs> <laughs> so, also, like, I know, I get what you're saying in terms of, you know, if Kane's not there, Sun doesn't score as much. With that, at the moment, you, you'd agree with that based on what you're saying on the pitch. But vice versa to that, if Sun's not on the pitch, what I'm trying to make the point of saying is the player, that, the players that you've got as an alternative, don't pull, put the ball in the back of the net well, as much. Therefore, it's kind of like. Therefore, you then have a conversation which goes in one or two directions. It goes of, all right, Kane's being great, 
Um, but really, he's, you know, everybody knows how good it is it, he is at putting the ball in the back of net. Why isn't he getting himself into goal-scoring positions? Or, all right, he's great, he's creating creative chances, but what is it if it's not getting any goals? You know, I, no, I, don't, I don't even think it's either or. I think Kane is obviously the, the role he's been given by Conte, and I think Conte was reluctant to have him play in that role for a while, um, is that he he serves as an outlet and he's bringing the other two guys in. Kuliszewski is brilliantly direct. I mean, the best compliment I can give him is that he's almost like a Liverpool forward in that regard, in that he just drives directly at the goal. And even if it just draws one man away from Son, then he's done his job. And you yeah. can go the other way and Kane's able to play him in. If Kane is dropping in as much as he is as well, yeah. it's perfect for what they need. He, he, he it's effectively what we're supposed to be having, yeah. but Spurs are currently doing it at a higher level, largely because yeah. of their centre-forward. So, In our analysis of Kane and Son, we've discovered you need a player to pass the ball and a player to finish. Don't say we don't give you insight on this podcast. Yeah. Tactical yeah. mouse. <laughs> I did see I did see Merson's clip, and I, I did think his kind of use of the term one-man team is obviously it's always feels a bit ridiculous, but I did think he was kind of saying they need their best player to play well, which is always feels the most obvious thing anyone can ever say. Along yeah, with he, that you need to score goals to win football matches. Mm, effectively yeah, saying it's playbook. Yes, these guys are playing at a level, but that level's going to drop without this guy in there with them. Which is fair because teams are going to drop deeper if Kane isn't there because they're going to have no need to go near him. So, yeah, I mean, it's a fairly He's easy doing a... The other thing with him is he's doing a lot of things he was doing when we said he was playing badly, but he's just doing it a lot better, right? So we were saying, well, why is he yeah. dropping him? Why is he doing all this? And now no one's saying it because he's getting the assist, because it's all working, because the other players have picked up around him. There's less scrutiny on him, even though he, he could probably say, well, I'm doing the things I've always been doing. So his his form will probably be the thing that kind of carries Spurs. He's hit it at the right time. He is due on. So to that end, <laughs> he is due on. So to that end, that's where Merz might be more right, where the sheer sort of buzz you're going to get off a world-class striker in this sort of form can carry you. Regardless of what his role is on the pitch, I, I will not disagree that Kane is the is the decisive point in our, in our team. He is the driving hmm. force. He's firing. You know that Spurs are firing without a shadow of a doubt. Hmm. Like Sun is always going to be, when he's firing, he's helping, you know, get the team through it. Is I suppose is a conversation we're having here, but yeah, without a shadow of doubt, Kane is the focal point of Tottenham, and when he's firing, we're 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 winning. So hopefully, um, Benzema is offended again by the comments regarding Kane this weekend, <laughs> <laughs> and he takes those out uh, at the Bernabeu. There's nothing more perfectly modern football that literally one of them just has to have a good game, and we well that's the best number nine. And then the, next, the other guy, have one, but that's the best number nine. And we just ignore. We're all still trying to explain we're just, that. We're on a game by game basis. <laughs> insert the, insert the, and I took that personally meme. <laughs> we're still trying to explain that Griezmann clip of him shouting Harry Kane after he heads it in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you need to think too much about that guy and explanation. There's not much thought process going on. I don't think with him. Uh, the, the jokes you see about him on. Twitter uh, sensational. Um, just in closing here, before we uh, hear from Jax, we do still have a little bit to get into. So, if I was to ask the two of you that don't support either of these teams who your money was on 
to get into the top four, I'd assume your answer is perhaps different than it was a fortnight ago. It, yeah, it is. And it's also... Different to a week ago. Yeah. It could Me. It's all good just a week ago. <laughs> I just... I will never, ever, ever confidently back this Spurs team because I've seen what they've done. Would you confidently <laughs> back Arsenal? Because that's no. the other side of it. <laughs> you don't want your life on the line either way, do you? No, Gosh. I mean, Spurs are just so weird. They'll drop a 4 0 like that and they're going to lose next week. It's just such a weird team. It just seems like one week, if it goes for them, they have a good matchup against the team that matches up well against them. They do pretty well. And then they just fall to bits against others that they should be. I just, it's it's weird because I guess like any other situation, I'd be really worried and looking over my shoulders when we start losing four ones Brentford. But it's kind of like well, hey, Lee Dixon said that after we beat Villa, he said we're not looking at Spurs, we're looking at Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. It's all that's the mentality you want to have, though. That is the that mentality, is the mentality you, want you want to have. Yeah, but I, I look at it and I think there's been times where we dropped points at the start of the weekend as well. It's not even like we. We've done it after you guys have won. But all you have to do is just bring home the bacon. And um, you just seem to slip up every time, both of you. I mean, it's just... So who have you got out of fourth yet? Because we've, we've managed to turn this on to Chelsea. And when he asked you if <laughs> Arsenal was no. supposed to be fourth, it's quite a skill. It's, you know, it's as in, like, looking back, is like who I'm worried about the most. And I'm probably... I'd have to say Spurs because of the form Kane's in. And Arsenal don't have that. Like, they don't have that focal point they've been able to dig them out of situations it's not even they just have Kane they have Son as well as we... you're, relying, you're relying so heavily on Smith, Rowe and Saka and if they don't do it or if they get marks out of the game because they're still learning because they're still young then you literally don't really have another outlet Do we know just how severe the punishment was for Tonya Harding back in 94 when she uh, paid for those legs to be broken of her competitors <laughs> because I mean I'm not saying You're I thinking would. about it I think there's people out there that would be prepared to take one for the team there's probably a GoFundMe out there two for the team in this case <laughs> no, I think that would be more about. memorable that, that would be the thing that people remember from these last few seasons rather than Liverpool City this is like the only season where Kane hasn't gone off injured as well. So yeah, well, yeah. Oh, cheers, cheers, Jack. Like <laughs> cheers, cheers for that. All, all they need is Kane to do his ankling. Well, I think he was injured. Uh, to be fair, I think he was injured for the first half of the season, or he might uh, as well have been. Yeah, yeah good lasagna, yeah, good lasagna in that Spurs in that Spurs uh, canteen, and we'll see how we go. <laughs> There we go. I mean, maybe we'll be speaking differently next week after Arsenal lost to Southampton, and we can say, look. It's over now. <laughs> and then and three the, games and after, after a, that. And after, a stinker, <laughs> after a stinker between uh, Liverpool and City. We say this is a shit rivalry. What were we talking about? So, one thing I did want to mention to Jack as well. I've seen Chelsea taking some flack, um, some from Vieira himself, I believe, for not allowing Conor Gallagher to play in the FA Cup semi-final. Yeah, there's a lot of noise around this when feels a fairly clear decision for me. Yeah, it's just a rule. It's like it's it's just a rule. I know he's integral to. Well, no, Palace made a request to the FA, and it no. was done, and Chelsea rejected it. Yeah, well, exactly. It's like he's our player, but we don't want to. The only time that we've ever waived this is when we let Courtois play against us with Atletico Madrid, and that didn't end really well either. So, so like Remember when Coutinho against uh, Barca. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> so, like, so good. And, so good. 
being brutally honest, Conor Gallagher is going to be in that first team next year, or first team setup at least. Yeah, not so Chelsea. I think he is, because I think midfield with Kante wavering and Jorginho just being Jorginho, I can see him getting a chance. If Loftus Cheek can get this many chances this year, he can. It's, that's the way you got to look at it. I'm not sure Gallagher's settling for a Loftus Cheek role next year, who I, I don't know if the manager is still just reading forums with people saying, but the potential of Loftus-Cheek, because there's no other reason he's, this guy no, is getting any football. Don't I know what you're about to say, and well, don't say it. No, he hasn't. Because if he had, he'd be playing more football. Because Jorginho he, is playing week in, week out. He's not. He's, it, it depends on who we play. We either run with competition or we run with Jorginho. So we're playing every week. Jorginho... And, just lined up to face Real Madrid in the Champions League. And got absolutely shown up and was taken off at half-time. So why so, wasn't Loftus-Cheek in there? I'm not saying Loftus-Cheek is as good as Kovacic. I'm just saying he's a decent midfielder to have. And I'm just saying that Conor Gallagher would probably push those two more than Loftus-Cheek is. So I'm just saying that highlights probably the fact that we need a midfielder like Conor Gallagher more. Which means he would get a chance. I'm not sure he's <clears throat> going to take a bit part position, but maybe I'll give it a go he, for a year. Yeah, you never know. I mean, he's come through the youth set. He obviously loves Chelsea. He's always said in every interview that he wants to go back to Chelsea and that's where he sees himself playing. So you Maybe never you'll know. need the cash. If he if he didn't come to our Yousef, I'd probably agree with you. But the fact that he has, I think he'd get, want to give it a go for at least one season before he wanted to move away. But to go back to your point about him not um, yeah. being allowed to play in the FA Cup semi, I mean, I don't know any other team in the league that would. <laughs> let I, it just seems that it gets blown up a little bit. There was even a segment on it on match of the day it was like it feels like something united were allowed to happen and then absolutely come back <laughs> we all laugh yeah. but then they didn't let jesse lingard leave on loan so maybe not like we we want to win a trophy this season and like we are not going to give any other like competitors any chance or any more advantages than we need to give them and if they've got one of our players playing in midfield for them we're going to probably let them not do that so I, I don't know I don't why you're worried when you've won it all. We already have won it. Completed it. <laughs> completed football. We just want to complete it again. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to going to it. Aside from that, you were undercover on Saturday. Yeah, it's been a weird week. It's been... In with the Southampton fans. Um, hindsight looks easy. Yeah. It, Risky like, business beforehand. I mean... Obviously, the last time that I'd done that, it was at West Brom, and I got kicked out and had my collar felt. And, uh, yeah, a bit, bit of a different, different atmosphere. Whereas this one, I went in there, and I've ne- like, I know that we get a stick for being quiet, but I've never been to a quieter stadium. It's just, I was just sat there, like, what the hell is going on? And the fact that for the first 25 minutes, we were just all over them. And um, one goal went in, and everyone started moaning, going, oh, we're so shit. I just started agreeing with them. I was like, yeah, fuck me. Southampton is shit. And I was talking to the guy next to me. He was like, oh, yeah, it's just, it's just not good enough. It's going to be another 9 0 if, if uh, we're not careful. I was like, yeah, we were just, Southampton just playing awful today. Chelsea were really good. He's like, yeah, we're making them look good. But, like, the first goal, well, I was right at the front. Like, literally, you could see me on TV after every goal. <laughs> that what was then, that laugh? That was the girliest little laugh. That little giggle from AJ. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the the first 20 minutes, you see Vernie hit the post three times in 10 minutes. And they're like, it's going to be one of them games, isn't it? And then 
yeah, it was just, I was literally sat right in front of it for all of it, and people were moaning, people were leaving, and uh, I just had an absolute whale of a time. It was brilliant. You ate yourself there. Oh, yeah, I was there for the full game, which uh, was more than I said about the last time I was at the honeymoon. But after Could going you... to watch Chelsea Real Madrid during the week as well, I think they deserved a six miller. <laughs> I'd Could you say that I'm in for a treat next week? It, it was just a weird, it's a weird week. To have, <laughs> to have seven days and to have lost three, one, and four, one, and come out with positive goal difference out of all the ties, which is a bit odd. Um, could... Yeah, hopefully we turn it around on Tuesday, and then I'm off to Wembley to see him again on Sunday in the FA Cup. So nice, good week planned it's... out. Then I'm off to the Arsenal game after that. Again, so that would be a big say... pod. You would say that for the Arsenal then... one. Huh? You in a box for the Arsenal one? No, I'm in a box at Wembley, um, and then gonna say, normal seats for along, a, normal seats for the for Chelsea Arsenal, <laughs> Stanley Bridge. Hosting customers. It's funny. I was talking to my boss today, and um, oh yeah, I was at Chelsea last week, and I went to Chelsea at the weekend. And went to Southampton. He was like, oh yeah, I'm at Chelsea at the weekend again. It's like it's funny how all these tickets they're always Chelsea that go and see <laughs> the ones I get through work. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? Yeah. Especially the hospitality ones. Well, make sure I use those. Up. We do still have a little bit of combat sports to get into, so I think we'll have to leave the football there. We'll see what happens next week. I'm sure they'll give us something to speak about. But until then, unless Jack or AJ were up at uh, one o'clock watching Triple G on Saturday, I wasn't. But I didn't even know he boxed, and I like Triple G, so I wanted to go watch that on the. Uh, watch your back on the zone and. It was a much better spectacle than watching United was, I can tell you that. <laughs> cool. See you, boys. Adios. Cheers. Yeah, boys. Thanks. Cheers. How good a weekend of football can be when uh, you can spend two hours speaking and not even mention that United lost to Everton. Probably an indictment of just how bad United are, but it's not even <laughs> newsworthy. No, and the fact we lost to them as well, so I can't, <laughs> can't just see how it can happen. <laughs> All right. Let's start with Triple G. He was earlier in the weekend. So one day after he turned 40, he does capture a second middleweight title, ninth round stoppage of Ryota Murata in Saitama, Japan. Um, I saw ESPN calling it an early candidate for fight of the year. I don't know how you felt about that. Feels a bit rushed, doesn't it? It was just a... You you had some twists and turns, I guess, is... Yeah, yeah. It's Maybe a really we don't expect fight. that these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really good fight, but not a. Obviously, I, I haven't watched it, but you said you've seen a bit of. But for example, if you, the way people are talking about Fundora versus Lubin, yeah, couldn't make a case for it being like people were talking about that. Well, that's what I'm definitely going to go back and rewatch yeah, just from watching a 30 second clip. Going to have to. Um, something I did want to mention. I really liked the atmosphere with it being in Japan, and I've seen fights there previously, and I really like it when I've watched even MMA over there. I just quite like how they're quiet, and you hear everything in the ring until something happens, and then you get kind of the best of both. A bit more your type of atmosphere. A bit more... Uh, I just more so. appreciate it more, and especially when you see some of the Apex ones, you do realise what you miss sometimes when you do see a rowdy atmosphere, but I just think it's quite mm. cool. Um, especially when it's just a bit different. And I just like... I was about to say, I saw this getting roundly praised. I think it's kind of, as often as we see it, it's probably good. Where it's just, like you said, just so different, so culturally different to what we have. 
but it is kind of fun to watch. I don't know if you'd want it every week, but I think layout I like it. Just always looks so clean as well. With it would be a, such a like, surreal experience when they go to one, just like by contrast to an English show or even an American one. Even just like the boxing rings they choose, whether it's the ropes, the canvas, everything, everything just always looks so slick. Mm. Um, and it really, it really does add to it. And I guess you get a certain level of pageantry that's different with um, Asian boxing as it is with American when it's completely over the top. This is far more muted, but it's just far, I feel a bit cringy saying it's kind of classier, but you do it get is, that no, feel no, it to is. it. It's, it's yeah. a lot uh, nicer. Lot. I know Golovkin seem to really kind of revel in it um, in the pre-fight build-up. Yeah, it seems a lot more on, on brand for him, doesn't it? The yeah. Sweet Caroline and people swigging beer. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah it was Golovkin I think f- after three rounds you, I saw uh, a Twitter account say people were uh, writing their obituaries for him <laughs> yeah absolutely then he started turning it around around round five I think it was when he knocks the mouthpiece out yeah the fifth round Yeah, he knocks the mouthpiece of Morata out he seems to catch a second wind and early on Morata was tagging him and he was kind of stopping him in his tracks slightly. But I think after maybe the early success and then he wasn't able to capitalize on it, it must have been disheartening. And then when you maybe think you've got Golovkin out of there and he's wilting and then he turns it on, it must just be horrible as you're tiring then yourself and he's seemingly going downhill on you. Yeah, that was it, wasn't it? He had to put a lot of work into those early rounds, which we probably overlooked because it looked like he was piecing Golovkin up. Yeah. But as you said, if you don't get him out, that must be a scary place to be. Yeah, because when we look back at someone like Arthur Abraham and we would constantly Mm. say that he does nothing for two minutes and the last minute he wins the round Mm. by doing that, Golovkin was kind of doing the opposite where he would come out and he would really punctuate the start of the rounds, particularly as the fight went on. And... I think he did it from about seven to nine where he eventually stops him. He would come out and he would almost throw just like a banger of a shot to open the round. Yeah. And he did that. The first punch he throws in round nine wobbles Morata. And then he caught him with one of those kind of like Terry Harper got caught with where you're out on your feet and you're just frozen waiting to be followed up on. And the, I don't know exactly. I was reading some tweets about it and I think they had a tragedy over there on one of these um, Tekken promotions. Right. And since then, they've been far earlier with the towel than they would perhaps be in America. Right. And they're a lot more merciful. And so this time, as soon as it's clear to them, look, my guy isn't going to turn this around, they throw this towel in, and I didn't know any complaints with it, I thought. Pretty perfect time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't premature, it wasn't too late. It was just about right, I think. Because Morata still looked hurt after. It wasn't one of them where they throw it in before it gets bad. Like, he'd still taken a lot of damage, as you would expect from taking punches from Golovkin for nine rounds. But I see, he had some big shots, right? Even when, yeah. he was, even when he was hurting Golovkin, he was eating some back in return. And that's, yeah. you know, he's obviously a tough, tough guy because even that... That shot he does at the start of the night, you say, is an absolutely massive right yeah. hand. That how he didn't get cleaned out by that on its own is impressive. Well, 
even in the shots in the changing room after, he still looks like he hasn't shaken it off, which looks yeah. don't blame him. Um, but you see that sometimes, don't you? It's, it's waved off and then suddenly you can have your arm around him and be all smiles and, yeah, okay, you got the better of me. This was very much like he's going to be hurting for a while. Still feeling it, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Golovkin will be a bit sore, probably pissing a lot Absolutely. of blood. Some of those body shots were uh, yeah. brutal. Well, that's the the main takeaway for me is that if it wasn't clear after Derry Vinchenko, the pathway to beating Golovkin now feels as clear as it's ever going to be. Mm. And I don't think it's quite as simple as if you throw body shots, you're going to beat him. No, no, no. But if you're able to throw quality body shots and also be fighting at a high level, that's definitely the way to weaken him rather than just throw shots at his head, which you can probably take until he's blue in the face or purple in the face or whatever <laughs> it's going to be. Yeah, he's he's becoming more vulnerable to the body and he isn't able to do as much work as he was able to. If you look, he was taking breaks. in slow. Yeah, I mean... People are saying that, look, obviously, that just showed it was just ring rust because after the first three rounds, he kind of got into it. There's an argument for that, but there is also, you know, you can't ignore the fact that he's 40 years of age. You know, it does play into it. So, had, like, one of the first times he got Morata up on the ropes was in the seventh round, I think, hmm. um, where Morata was pretty much just kind of stood there and Golovkin was loading up from last week. And then he, had, he retreated to the center of the ring and had to take a break, and Morata actually then came on towards yeah, the end of the round. Yeah, that was it. So, for me, I'd be happy enough if he retired. I'd say, look, you're giving us some great nights. Uh, get out with your money, your health intact. On the other hand, there's also plenty of exciting fights I'd make for him. One of those isn't Canelo. Like That's one <laughs> no. of them. For people to go, you're still going to watch. Yeah, as we said, we watched Danny Garcia, Rod Salka at four o'clock in the morning. That's <laughs> yeah. not like a. That's not. You're not getting one over on a saying. It's that. not a compliment you think it is saying so, that we'll watch it. But it's going to be one, and I probably not that bad. But it's in a similar boat to Amir Khan Kelbrook, where except the other guy isn't completely shot as well. <laughs> but I'm going in. So this guy's in prime. <laughs> yeah, I know beforehand that it's it's uncomfortable. Like I'm not looking forward to watching it. No, no, I'd I'd like to see him retire. Really, um, I get that from his point of view. That's a hell of a lot of money. I'm sure for the Canelo free fight, and Eddie and Dazone will be pressuring him into it as well because they have nothing else to offer for Canelo. They've got Canelo signed to this deal. What else are yeah. they going to do with that that show in September? With all due respect to him, putting John Ryder in there isn't going to do it. The, the Mungia fight is one that, that if you tell me that, I'm absolutely on board. Mungia is the fastest guy in the world. Or no, um, Golovkin. Golovkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah great fun. I'll tell you, the worst thing for me, if if I was kind of ordering the, the things I'd least like to see for Golovkin, I don't want you losing to a guy like Andraj. I, I don't I want him having... <laughs> yeah. If, he would if, be a hard watch as well. It'd be horrible. If you tell me they're making Golovkin Eubank in six months' time, I'm on board. Oh Sign me up. That's just violence. It's like there's there's still fights to make for him, but good luck. One, convincing Golovkin that, because Canelo will go on a press tour. Look, this guy was scared to fight me. He knows what would happen. But ultimately, I've got far more interest in those. If you're going to carry on fighting, it's like there's some guys in the UFC 
I love watching Matt Brown fight. I don't want to see him in there with Kamaru Usman. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. I'm still happy to watch Cerrone fight. I don't want to see him in with anyone like remotely near the top of the division. And Golovkin's not that bad. But well, he's taken out him... of a champ, hasn't he? He's, he's shown yeah. himself, I think, to be... His peak is obviously so high that even if he's fallen down, he's still good enough. He's still they did a good job of it saying that on commentary, didn't they? Yeah, Algeri, I can't remember how he phrased it, but he really nailed it. But um, It's going to so end up... the lines of when you're coming down the ladder, you're still higher up than... Sometimes your peak's so high guys. that yeah. it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, you know, he might be almost all other contenders at middleweight, but I, I don't need to see, like you said, you don't need to basically know someone young and fast and good. You'd, you'd rather not. Who would, I, think who would you... I think he got through really on toughness and grit, really, in yeah. that first bit. Showed just how much he got there, and then that punching power would always be there. Who would your money be on if they made Golovkin uh, Mungia tomorrow? I'd still go with Golovkin, but obviously... As time ticks on, it's only getting worse for him. He's only getting worse. Yeah. What about you, Bank? Oh. Probably still Golovkin, but I only say it. If you had just like a bit more pop, I think he'd yeah. get him out of there. It would be an absolute slug, but I just think Golovkin would be winning a lot of those rounds, I think, because Eubank yeah. wouldn't do a lot in between. Yeah. So I think he'd probably go this and Golovkin would probably still win even now. Does Charlo beat him? I I, I don't know. I'd need to see him in with Charlo. Yeah. That that would be an that would be an exact that would see how vulnerable Golovkin is at this point. Because again, I think he'd win rounds against Charlo. It's just but he, he's explosive, he's quick. He'd be hitting is, Golovkin with shots he didn't see coming, and he's obviously he can bang, so it's, you'd find out a bit about him there. So this is the thing. There is a lot of money there for him outside of Canelo. Like he doesn't need Canelo in the same way that Canelo doesn't need him. But no, you get what I'm saying. So he's gonna have so many financial offers because people are gonna say, "Look, get this guy now before he retires. We're gonna be the guy other than Canelo that's beat him." And it's always a feather in the cap if you retire someone, isn't it? So, His issue is gonna be he he's gonna have offers like that. At seven to the sixty, so at some point you've got to step away. At some point, someone in your team's yeah. got to be able to He's get the to first look. guy Come outside on. of Canelo, though. So I, I, I imagine now. I think he is tied to the zone as well, isn't he? As part of the issue, I think. Yeah, I think. I think look, all roads lead to that Canelo fight. I don't think unless Bivol does pull it off, there's nothing going to change that. I think Golovkin could look even worse, and they would have still done it. Yeah, yeah. It was effectively just get through it. Yeah, yeah, just get it, get it through. So, yeah, and then that's that's give it the big sell. Not ideal, but uh, look, that's the business, as they say. Uh, yeah, it'd be a bit sad if Canelo is piecing him up, but it's not. You know, we've seen a lot worse fights get made. Yeah, because I, I, I think it would be quite ugly. <laughs> yeah, um, if it did happen, I'd hope that that'd be, he wouldn't want to retire on it, but I hope it would because you don't need to yeah. see him get yeah. pieced up by people. Just to close out then, so UFC 273 for a card, and I'm just looking at it now, of the what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 12 fights on the card. We got nine decisions. 
Jeez. It didn't feel like a bad card to me. I was going to say, it didn't feel like that, did it? Uh, we watched from the first fight of the night. Arce against Santos. Fun fight. Looked very good, didn't it? Yeah. Rodriguez, Hansen. No real thoughts there. <laughs> Alenic, Vandera. Look, anytime a guy of his age is still submitting people in the ways that he does, it's entertaining. Mike it's Malott. incredible, really. Yeah. It's really incredible what he's able to do. Yeah. Made him puke in the octagon. That's insane. Mike Malott absolutely batters Mickey Gall. Raquel Pennington, Aspen Ladd. Not the greatest fight in the world, but a competitive fight. Anthony Hernandez, Josh Fremd. Really enjoyed that one. Ian Gary, Darian Weeks. Probably the worst fight of the night. Yeah, it probably was, wasn't it? Which when you talk like he does, exactly, it's got to be entertaining. Mark Madsen, Vince Pichel. Um, Vince Pichel is... (laughs) I don't know if you've seen his tweet, his Twitter. He's essentially gone on a, I'm a man, I accept my decisions, but that guy was a pussy for wrestling me. He didn't deserve to win. I'm the real winner of that fight. Look at all these statistics to show that I won. Um, uh, his, be done, way, I guess. his way of uh, doing it after the fight was a selfie of himself with no cuts and bruises. Always an and, interesting one, isn't it? And I'll read you what he said. Oh, he no. said... Listen, haters, I took down an Olympic medalist and would have finished him if I didn't run out of time in the second. But guess who was still out partying like a man who accepts his results? The American flag emoji. And guess who hid in his hotel room after like the coward he fought as? Danish emoji. Hashtag next day face. And then (laughs) stats with him landing more total strikes, significant strikes. Uh, One of two takedowns and... uh, 48 seconds of control time. And then he's just retweeting anyone that says uh, he won the fight and dodgy referee and decision. Pretty standard. Oh. I could make the argument for him winning the fight. The 30-27s were baffling to me. Mm, um, yeah, agreed. Yeah, I, it, see, it feels very sour grapes when I did have money on it and I do like Michelle anyway, but I do just hate I don't hate wrestling. It's part of the sport. Wrestling, when you lay and pray and you're not advancing your position, you are literally just holding someone else down. Not fun to watch. Uh, no. Mackenzie Dern, Tisha Torres, for me, worst decision of the night. Uh, I don't particularly like Tisha Torres, but I thought Tisha Torres beat Mackenzie Dern. Uh, I thought she won the first round. I thought she won the third round. Mm. Again, close, competitive fight. And then we get Chimaev Burns. <laughs> I don't know what we were expecting, but that wasn't what I was expecting. No, I thought we could have a, a good, fun fight, a competitive fight, but I wasn't sure we were getting an absolute barn burner like that. After about 30 seconds, I thought, okay, Chimaev's just going to wrestle this guy. Then he had a brief moment where he was like, okay, Chimaev's going to batter this guy. Yeah. And then it was a, oh shit, Shemayev's going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was a, oh, hang on a minute. No. <laughs> He's Actually, one Burns is knackered. Yeah, it's, that back and forth was incredible. Yeah, my brother um, texted me after he watched it and he was like, I think Burns was robbed. He's like, I think Burns won that fight. Blimey. And then about 
two hours later, he texts me again saying, uh, okay, I think I was a bit too hyped up after the fight. Um, <laughs> I do think you might have won that, but what heart by Burns. And it was like, yeah, I can't really argue with, with that. People are being critical of Chimaev, I guess, when you sell someone as the next Khabib, that's always going to happen. But but a guy, what is 10th fight? He's just gone in, beating the number two guy in the world, probably mm. the toughest stylistic matchup for him. Is it too simplistic? Uh, that, Go on. That will impress me more than running through people in yeah. the first round. It just, you, you just tell me, I know a lot more about him now than I did. Is it too simplistic to say that's his Gastelum? Interesting. Interesting take. Because Burns is never going to be the champion of that division. People are going to be and have beaten Burns with far more ease. But sometimes someone just does have to get that dog out of you so you know that it's in there and then moving forward you're a better man for it. Like... Adesanya is always going to be a divisive character. Sometimes I like him, sometimes I dislike him. The, the clips I've seen recently of kind of him and his boys watching fights, filming each other while doing it, I don't think he comes across well at all. He, Him reacting to the Chimaya fight, and it's him saying, and you're telling me that guy's going to be champion, terrible, look at him, clinging for a leg, and it's like, well, you had these fights yourself as well. Like, mm. Let's not pretend you didn't have these. Perhaps the amount of people asking him, if their arrival has got his back up a bit. But, yeah, it was a weird reaction for it because, as you've said, I came out of that feeling like, okay, he's passed the gut test, he's passed the stamina test when it was a dogfight, and he was still going at the end of it. And he was able to be the nail as well as the hammer. Like, moving forward, there's no reason to say, and I don't think that would happen, that he doesn't just go out and starch Colby in 30 seconds as he shoots in. There's no reason to say he can't catch Usman in the same way that Burns has caught Usman in the same way that Colby's caught Usman. Exactly, exactly. Like, the guy hits like a truck. He's big. He can wrestle. Like, he's a nightmare for anyone still. Let's not pretend because he had a tough fight that suddenly he's no good. No, no. I, again, I've, I've seen a bit of it online and I genuinely am baffled. I, I think his stock only rose with that. Um, and I think that the likes of Usman and Adesanya should treat him as a godsend because they need an opponent. Both of them are in a spot where it's like, I can't get up for any of your fights currently with, 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 with sort of talking about. Usman's yeah. worked his way through the division, similar with Izzy. And they both have a situation where they've got the old uh, Jones and Cormier situation where the number two yeah. guy they've beaten couple of times we know it in, what much we can do in fairness to Usman I liked the way he approached it initially and I've not seen if he said anything this weekend uh, if he has said anything I imagine enough people saying this guy after three fights was just going to walk through you probably does get your back up a bit but I saw an interview with him and it may have been the Shannon Sharp interview and he said basically I'll worry about him when I have to worry about him at this point he's not beating anyone yet if he beats Gilbert Burns okay I'm in, like, yeah. you've given me something to worry about. Now, I'll focus on you in that way. So, I do think Usman probably does acknowledge that. He realises that what Colby did for his brand and Masvidal have done for his brand in the way that 
from them being idiots effectively have turned him into being like a baby face as they would put it in wrestling terms like you're the guy people <laughs> like now and Chemayev is maybe just going to add a bit more excitement he's going to have people saying I don't think you're going to win that fight and that's the best thing that can happen to him because then when he goes out and beats them even better look yeah yeah that's what they need we need doubt that he's going to win because it is any other opponent you name for the minute you'll be like well I don't really need to watch Usman take him on because I know yeah. he's going to win same with um, same with Volk now as well, isn't it? In that division, they can run it yeah. back with Holloway because that's good. For, and I'm, we're going to talk about him. I know, but he's in the same spot as those other two guys I mentioned. Where you're like, I've run through the division. Here. What else can I do? So yeah, Shamayev is the perfect answer for this for them. Yes, Sterling Yan was probably the perfect foil to Shamayev Burns in that this was just completely controlled chaos. Um, it yeah. was it was all technique. Uh, started off and I haven't watched it back so I'm going solely on how I scored it on the night the first round is ultimately what we all agree is how you pick the winner is the swinger yeah I at the time thought Jan had done enough I thought the fact that he was moving forward now I know I don't think he lands a strike until the latter half of the first round but Sterling, if anything, landed a few little slaps. Mm. And so I thought the forward progress, the fact that it's a it's deemed as a level of control, the fact that you're the one moving him around the octagon, and the fact that he does then start landing strikes as the round goes on, for me, gave him the round. I've seen people far more intelligent than me explain why it wasn't a 10 8 for Sterling in the second round, although at the time I thought it perhaps could be. Well, I don't um, know, at least, yeah. Yeah. The activity of Jan while on his back, the fact that Sterling wasn't manipulating him for the greater part of the round, in Jan was moving positions himself. He was defending, that he wasn't being nearly choked out or all these other kind of stipulations. Yeah. The third, largely similar. The fourth, clear Yan round. The fifth, clear Yan round. And I I think when you look that Sterling has success in the start of the first fight, maybe these guys are just like the perfect match for each other. They appear to be, don't they? Yeah, they definitely appear to be sort of a, a match made in heaven. Just the uh, a good start, mate. like you said, the opposite to Shemayev and Burns, but it's perfect in its own way as well. Um, I thought Sterling probably deserved to get the nod in that, and this is really by the by, probably doesn't make much sense, but I thought the two clear rounds for him, I thought were probably the two most dominant rounds of the fight. So if it is on a knife edge, I'll probably give it to him anyway. I thought, like you said, that first round, I... I could give either way. And if we accept, they both round two rounds each after that. But I thought Sterling probably at least had an argument for a 10-8 round in there, whereas Jan, I don't think, really did. So probably on the balance of it, I'd give it to Sterling. And the main issue Jan has is that it isn't like the other divisions we've mentioned, and there are a multitude of contenders here. So yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. you, ain't get, you ain't getting your immediate rematch. And probably the fact that he's already beaten some of these guys on the way up now makes it more difficult. Uh, TJ Dillashaw is still one of the most recognisable faces in the UFC. Um, 
Yeah, and whether it's good, bad publicity, him fighting for the belt is going to draw in eyes because people want to see him get beat and they want to be able to blame it all on the steroids if he wins or loses, so mm. that helps. Sterling yeah. TJ is still a is still a great fight. You've still got Aldo there, as you said. You've still got Cruz in there. Like there's enough you've still got Rob Font in there. You've still got plenty of others there. Um I was gonna say uh Cater then, but it's not uh Aldo, Rob Font. I mean, I look at the division, but even the names go for a shot. Yeah, even the names I've just said. <laughs> there's a multitude of names, and they're all calling them out as well. They all they all make themselves visible. So he's he's got a lot of options. Yeah, Dana was pretty clear that it's going to be TJ next. Although I do quite like that he comes out and says who actually fought one. He says that the judges got it wrong. Jan should have won. I don't know if you've seen the clip of his disappointed face when he looks over Buffett's shoulder and sees the winner. No. <laughs> yeah, he looks and then he kind of shakes his head and steps back. Blimey. Yeah, I like these. I didn't think it was one of those fights where you'd be calling them out too much myself. But like you said, I like that he says what he thinks. Yeah, a weird one. Aljo should be someone he should be able to build. He should. He's got. I think we've mentioned before, like a lot of, on paper, a lot of star quality. They don't. Yeah, but they don't make that big stars today. So I think as much as um, he likes MMA, I think at heart he just likes the Petian style more than he likes the Aljo style. And, yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. And the thought of Jan Dillashaw is. Mouth-watering for almost yeah, anyone. Would love that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, you've still got um, Murab Dvajwili in there as well. Maybe mm. they do him and Jan next because he's from the same camp as Aljo and you kind of continue that beef. You've got Chito Vera there still hanging around. <laughs> Pedro Munoz is still hanging in there. Now, I've seen people say I don't care about the rankings. Give me Piotr Jan, Sean O'Malley next. Blimey. Throwing Sean in the deep end. I don't think O'Malley accepts that fight. But I don't think he does. <laughs> I think he's quite right to say, give me Pedro Munoz next. He's just seen Dominic Cruz move around him for three rounds. He'll back his movement there instead, and it's a sensible next step up. But it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It's, yeah. logical it's, it's, it's a fun division. It's a very fun division. Oh, Mali and Jan would be like fun, though, wouldn't it? If they made that tomorrow, yeah, you could go right. I'll be watching that. I'll see what happens. Exactly. Um, and then finally, Volk against Korean Zombie pretty much was as dominant as we thought it would be. Just maybe not as brutal as we thought it would be. End of the fourth round, uh, beginning of the fourth round, Volkanovski comes out and opens by asking Zombie, are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, that's pretty bad. Pretty badass. And then takes him out. Quite a boxing style stoppage from Herb Dean. Yeah, Herb, I was about to say, went some way to redeeming himself. He's got a lot of work to do yeah. on But uh, <laughs> it was a good stoppage from him. Thought he got it just about right. It Again, we've said it, we've said it a thousand times why they don't look more in the corner in MMA is very, very odd. He, sh- he should have been stopped in the corner, probably. Yeah, and they kind of mercifully didn't translate it on um, 
the interview after, but Zombie said in the cage after, uh, I now know I'll never be champion. Yeah, that's tough, isn't it? But and I'll see him crying also on the, the best thing for you. Best yeah. thing for you is to realise that. Yeah, it's true, and he doesn't have any sort of... Uh, removed any doubts, didn't he, Volk? He made sure, uh, you know, look, you're not on my level. He's yeah. just he's getting better and better in all aspects. Impressive. For Volk now, so he mentioned the possibility of moving up. You've also got Ortega against Yair coming up. You hope Yair wins that and you have another contender there. Yes. You've got the Holloway fight again, if that's of interest to Volkanovski. Um, Arnold Allen, obviously, coming through. You've got Kelvin Cater, who's never far away. Chikadze. It's a very hard sell, though. Yeah. Bryce Mitchell, Josh Emmett, Danny Gay. There's, I mean, none of uh, very few of them will probably get the chance to fight him, but there's at least a division there where if look, if you want to do the you know, John Jones had that run where he was fighting Thiago Santos, he was fighting Reyes, and it was like the, these aren't the most exciting names, but you are literally just fighting the number one in the division, Anthony Smith. Yeah, yeah exactly. If Volk wants to do that, he can do that, but I feel the allure of that glamour division just above him. I think you have to as well. I think when you're as dominant as he is, I think this, the difference with Jones, obviously any step of him is up to heavyweight and that's a, a big old jump. This makes a lot more sense. I think it's interesting for Volk. You'd, you'd put him in there. I saw yeah. someone say you wouldn't give him a chance against anyone in the top 10. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm sure about that, mate. I'm looking at just even the 15. I mean, you're looking at McGregor, Greg Gillespie. I mean, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler, Dariush. Even Poirier Gaethje, he's going to fancy his chances. Yeah, on the on the evidence of what we've just seen, I think you'd you'd back him to do a job on a lot of those guys. And, and on the worst case scenario, just being a really good close competitive fight with some of these guys. So yeah, he might he'd be undersized, but he you know he's sol- he's a solid lump. I know he's not the tallest, I but think, he's a solid lump. I think he may do the Holloway thing where you go up while still holding the belt, have your fight. If it doesn't work out, you go back down. He's still the champ. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably probably about right. Go it that way. But that just about does us, I think. We've uh, spoken to a blue in the face. So <laughs> uh, thank you again for listening to another edition of the Spitballing Pod. We'll be back on Friday with Movie Madness, Green Street against Football Factory. Huge matchup. See you then. Goodbye. <laughs>